Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on this Saturday night into Sunday morning. Plenty to get into throughout the course of the show tonight that we didn't get to when I was on Yesterday, uh, we'll try to get to some of the Sixers stuff from the draft the other night. It was just, it was just in my mind, the most boring, least inspiring draft I can remember in a long time. I mean, part of it is just the state the Sixers are in right now, and the fact that pick late in the first round, it's just not um, as important. You know, whoever they get probably isn't going to be able to contribute. Uh, right away, and I just had very little interest in it the other night. But um, we'll we'll try to get to that later on. Whatever we don't get to, I'm in the next three nights after tonight. So uh, plenty of stuff to get to this week. We'll get the Eagles' uh, observations from training camp as they have completed, I guess, day – I forget if today is day three, day four, whatever it is of training camp. But they had a little evening practice uh, today, so we'll let you hear a little bit from Nick Sirianni later on. Um, And obviously, the Phillies, which is where we will start tonight. As the Phils lose to the Pirates in Pittsburgh, 3-2. They were down 2-0. Aaron Nola gives up two runs in the third. But overall, Nola was fine. Six innings, two runs. You can argue against an offense like that that he should shut them down a bit more. But, I mean, I'm not going to crush Aaron Nola tonight. Gives up two runs. In six innings, you would typically take that from a starting pitcher. Um, Philly's able to fight back, even though a ton of missed opportunities. Nola, a sack fly, uh, but they end up leaving the bases loaded. Opportunity for more, unable to get the job done. Um, Bryce Harper in the eighth, an RBI. I mean, Bryce is approaching the 40 IBR, RBI mark, so he's getting close uh, to 40 RBI at this point in the year. I mean, he's on track. I, I He's got to be on track for, at this point, what does he have, 38, I believe? Um, so he's probably on track for somewhere around 75 RBI, uh, maybe less. So great, that's exactly what you want from your $330 million man. Um, but Bryce Harper gets a hit to knock in a run, but then with no outs, tries stealing second base, gets thrown out, kind of kills the Phillies' opportunity for more in that inning. And uh, it it remains 2-2 as they go into the ninth. 
and 2-2 game entering the ninth inning, the Phillies bring on Jose Alvarado. And Alvarado is predictably wild, gives up a leadoff double, issues a walk, but really has very little command. And with runners on the corners and one out, a bouncer to third base, Alec Bohm had a chance uh, to get the runner at the plate, but an off-target throw does not give JT Real Muto an opportunity uh, to make a tag, and the Phillies lose this one 3-2. to And when I was on last night, we talked about the trade deadline, and I let you know why I was so disappointed with what the Phillies did. And it was basically because, for better or worse, they needed to choose a direction. And while I wanted them to be aggressive, I kind of got to that point over the past couple weeks where, you know, even though long-term, yeah, it is probably better to sell off whatever parts you can and start to remake your farm system a little bit with where the division is and the, the fact that it is so just horrible. I got to the, the conclusion that I'm okay with them going for it if they were actually going to go for it. And if they were actually going to make moves that would have given them a real opportunity to win the National League East. And, you know, while I wanted them to be aggressive, I, I also would have kind of understood and respected if they did decide to sell and they did decide to blow it up. Um, either way, though, anything would have been better than just going halfway. You know, whether you are super aggressive and going out and trying to get the pieces you need or whether you decide this team's not good enough, this isn't the year, it's time to move parts and move in a different direction. I would have ultimately been okay with either decision. The one thing that I did not want to see the Phillies do is go halfway, kind of dip their toe in the pool, but not really make any big moves. And that's exactly what they ended up doing. And, you know, it infuriated me because in the end, they solved nothing. Like, you got better on paper, sure. You got a starter who's better than what you had in Kyle Gibson. You got Ian Kennedy, who is an upgrade in the back of your bullpen, a guy that will help. You got Freddie Galvis, who theoretically should help you as a bat off the bench. I think a defensive replacement late in games. I I think when the Phillies are leading late in games, you'll see a lot of scenarios where the left side of your infield is Freddie Galvis and Ronald Torres coming on for Didi Gregorius and Alec Bohm to give you a better chance to hold some of these leads because Didi and Bohm are just so horrendous defensively. But you really didn't solve any of your problems. So you got one starter, great. You need two, minimum. You're still light in that that area. Zach Eflin is out. Vince Velasquez and Matt Moore stink. And you still need at least one more starter in your rotation. Because, and we already see the impacts of them not going out and getting another starter on Saturday night. And it was immediately what I thought when I saw Alvarado come into the game and when I saw the Phillies lose this game. Because when you look at why they were not able to at least push that game into a 10th inning, which who knows where it goes from there, 
you know, Kennedy was up. I guess he would have come in to pinch the t- pitch the 10th. But it's all a ripple effect of the Phillies not doing what they needed to do on Friday. Because what they've decided to do now is move Ranger Suarez into the rotation. And that solves absolutely nothing, and it's why they lost that game. Because Ranger Suarez, you know, was a a blessing for this team this year. He was so valuable in a late-inning role, closer or not. And I envision now, like, that's why I was excited about the Kennedy move, because I figured with the Kennedy move, that kind of frees Ranger Suarez up to play a bunch of different roles for you, where you can use him in middle innings and long relief if you need somebody to come in and take down a couple innings. He can be a left-handed specialist, where he is a left-hander in the bullpen where you can rely on him. And I thought it would have freed Joe Girardi up to utilize Ranger Suarez in a number of different ways. But now, because you need him to start, it's Jose Alvarado in the ninth. And have we not seen enough from Jose Alvarado at this point to know you cannot rely on him? Like, he's going to have his good nights, he's going to have his bad nights, but you can never predict when they're going to be. Like, you don't want Jose Alvarado pitching in the type of spot where he was pitching in on Saturday night. You can't have it. He cannot be your most reliable left-hander in the bullpen. Now he is. I mean, he's your most reliable lefty. You'll get Bailey Falter back eventually. Now, again, you know, because this team and some of the players won't get vaccinated, this also has had a significant significant impact because losing Bailey Falter, that's another part of the reason why you got to move Ranger Suarez to the rotation because maybe you could have used Bailey Falter in that spot where he could start and take down three or four innings for you. But now you're in this position where you may have solved one problem, and I'm not sure you even really did solve it, but you created another one. Like, you made some additions, but you didn't add enough. And it's the worst way this team could have proceeded at the deadline. The absolute worst. You want to go and you want to try to win a winnable division, fine. Go try to win it. If you decide you're not good enough and you want to sell, even though it'll be unpopular, then sell. Like, do what you need to do for the betterment of your team. But you cannot do what the Phillies have done. And they added a couple players, but they solved none of their problems. And this is the issue. And if you just added one more starter, like, and I'm not even asking, I'm not saying they need to go out and get Max Scherzer or anything. But even if you just get the Tyler Anderson deal done, that significantly changes how this team looks. Like, moving Ranger Suarez the bullpen is, in my mind, a a terrible, terrible decision. And if you weren't going to truly, you know, commit to solving your problems, I I just do not understand... I don't understand what the Phillies' thinking was here. Because if you're not going to truly commit to solving your problems, then going out and adding a couple little pieces does nothing. And Ruben Amaro said it weeks ago, where he said, yeah, I wouldn't buy because unless they're going to fill all their holes, then it's not really worth it. And it's not. Like, you still have a lot of the same problems you had before. 
sure, Kyle Gibson adds another starter, but now you're taking your best reliever out of the bullpen. Like, how do you think that's going to work out for you? And why, by the way? So he can give you three, four innings early in games? And I get the need for another starter, but this solves none of the Phillies' problems. And it just creates more. And I want to know how you feel about it. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. But what do you think of what the Phillies did here at the deadline? Because I think they operated in the exact worst way possible. You either you need to commit, and this is what their problem has been for a number of years, where they have not committed to a direction. And f- this past week was decision-making time. We're either going to go and we're going to go over the tax, which that's another issue, which um, th- th- some of the comments from Dave Dombrowski on Friday in regards to that were just insulting. You must think we're all idiots. Oh, the tax wasn't a factor. Yeah, okay. Uh, you get four million back. That was what they got back in the Texas deal, right? Exactly, four million dollars right under the tax. Yeah, uh, fourth deadline in a row. By the way, they've done this. Yeah, that had nothing to do with it. I mean, the tax said it was no issue. Okay, Dave, thanks. Um, obviously, that was an issue. And you're either going to go over the tax and you're going to try to really win this division, or you look up to look to sell off some of your parts. But doing what they did was the worst possible way to go about this. And now you move Ranger Suarez out of the bullpen one night, one night, one game, and we already see the ill effects that's had. And I want to know how you feel about that decision. Do you feel the Phillies are doing the right thing moving Ranger Suarez out of the bullpen? I think it is a massive, massive mistake, and we're already seeing the problems that's been created by it, by Jose Alvarado needing to come in that kind of high-leverage spot on Saturday. 215 592 9494 if you want to get in. Let's get it started on the phones with Tom in Alabama. What's up, Tom? Hey, Tom. How are you, man? I'm okay, man. How are you doing? Doing all right. I don't agree with that range of Suarez move. The guys finally got settled. Now you're going to stir them up, you know? It just shows the show for Joe Girardi. Uh, you know, the thing about that going over the tax, I can't understand to me, Tom, if it sounds like the owner is really running things because if I want to say that he's got the fifth highest payroll and you know, it's just, if you look at the roster up and down and you think the fifth highest payroll is something has gone wrong from the scratch, you know? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, what's it. gone wrong is they paid a lot of players who weren't that good, really good money. Like that's the problem. Right, and I mean, they really did not do much at the deadline compared to, I mean, I never thought they should have got rid of Galvis. He would have been a lot better choice for me than D.D. Gregorius. And, you know, the Mets, they got Baez, and they upgraded a lot, and so did the Braves, and nobody's really talking about that, you know? Yeah, and I'll tell you what, Tom, like, if I had to pick a team to win this division right now, I'd pick the Braves. And if the Braves win this division without Acuna, I mean, what does that tell you about the Phillies and Mets and how d- disappointing season that would be for both of them? i tell you, it's, it's just I've always said it, Tom, that ever since uh, Mr. Middleton bought this team, it's just like, I mean, I don't know. The guy has not hired the right people, and it's just reflected along the way the whole time he's on the organization, and it's just follows in suit with the Phillies history. I mean, in 1980, I could not believe they won the World Series. I mean, I really couldn't believe it. 
I mean, it's really something. I mean, and there are no people that are in the organization. There's nothing coming out of the farm system. The farm system is depleted, and I really thought they should have sold off. And, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's, you know, there's 58 games left, and there are a couple games on the 500. There are 500 teams. It's going to come down to the Mets and the Braves and who aren't afraid to spend money it's the deadline, so to speak, especially the Mets, you know? Yeah, no, I hear you, Tom, and I appreciate the call. Thanks. And, yeah, it's a it's a problem, and the farm system's a, a massive problem, um, and it's part of the reason why you can't make a lot of the moves that you want to make, and we'll get more into that in the next segment here, a couple, uh, a couple um, clips from Dave Dombrowski from his press conference. But, yeah, it's, it's a problem, and it's all compounded. And, you know, they're in this spot where, like, I don't know what they see, but, like, the only way you can get out of this is to spend your way out of it. Like, when you don't have a farm system and you have a payroll that is this high, like, you've told your fans and you've told yourself as an organization, it's time to win. Well, if it's time to win, then you got to go for it. And the only way to do it is to spend. And if you're not willing to go over the tax, nothing's ever going to get better. I just don't I don't know what this organization is thinking and I don't know how they proceed because they they really have very few avenues uh to improve if they're unless they're willing to make those financial commitments and go into the tax and obviously they are not willing to do that. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in 215-592-9494. Uh let's get Donald and Chester in here. What's up Donald? Hello there. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. You, 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 you know what? Listen, I was, you know, I was thinking. I was like, you know, overall, I said, man, I can see why it took so much money to get Joe Girardi to come here. You know, because of the same issue the guy was just talking about the the farm system. You know, it was just so depleted and so bad. You know, and that's where I'm looking at, you know, because, I, you know, I've looked at all the pitchers that they, you know, that they drafted, you know, and they got a couple outfielders, some guys with some with some pop and power because that's what I'm looking forward to. I kind of, like, realized that this lineup here just isn't consistent with hitting the ball, the pitching stat. And as far as you, you know, talking about, you know, bringing up Ranger. The only thing I can say is I don't know what 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 other option what other option does he have to try to to try to try to catch to try to catch the the Mets because last night that was horrendous last night about about Velasquez and those in 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 the first inning like that right, I mean right. in the first no no right Donald but that's what I'm saying like you had to that's why you had to go get another starter. Yeah, I don't. Well, yeah, well, well, I was thinking the same thing too because I thought that you know Wheeler, Nola, definitely you know appeared from from uh, against the Nationals, and tonight he appeared to be, you know, these two games he seemed to be back, you know, to what we know he's capable of doing, you know. So he kind of, yeah. So you know, I don't know why they didn't get the third, you know, the third starter here, but I kind of like talked up this uh, season here, and I'm looking forward to us getting back to trying to cultivate a farm system again, you know, and just starting from there again, because this 
this thing here with, with this lineup and these veteran hitters, these veteran hitters is what really surprises me. You know, the inconsistency, you know, of not of not going with the pitches and taking taking stuff that's up in the zone that you should be knocking out in the parking lot somewhere. You know, just this a so I just hopefully these young people that they are you know, that they're drafting, you know, will show us some type of potential yeah. and and we can get back to those years. Yeah, you no, know? I got you, Donald, and I appreciate it, man. I'm not gonna lie, I just don't I don't really really see it happening. I don't really see this team getting back to that level um really anytime soon. In the next segment here, Joe and Connor will get you up next, but um I did want to play some sound from from Dave Dombrowski because one of the big issues with this team is the farm system. And uh, the an incredible statistic, I don't know if, statistic, if it can be called a statistic necessarily from the Texas trade, but a fact about the Texas trade that I want to pass along to you illustrates how bad this farm system is. And the farm system being as depleted as it is, is the reason they weren't able to address their needs and complete the Tyler Anderson deal as well. So we'll get to that coming up next um, as we continue to talk about the Phillies uh, and what has happened here. Uh, and we'll get we'll, we'll get Dan's thoughts on the Phils and uh, the Ranger Suarez move and all that stuff as well. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on this Sunday morning, 215-592-9494. So it's August 1st today. So what are we, six weeks from today? I think we'll be uh, getting ready for Eagles-Falcons. So we're getting there. We're getting close. First preseason game in under two weeks, August 12th, the Thursday night. Um, and I'll be on this Thursday night from, I think, like like 10.30 to whenever it ends after the Hall of Fame game, which we're carrying on the station. So football is back this week, sort of. Um, and it's always a very exciting time of year, uh, obviously, when football returns. 215-592-9494. But talking about the Phillies at the deadline, why they just didn't do enough. And if they're not going to do enough, it really wasn't worth doing anything at all. And... Now, you know, with this hole that remains, where you pick up Kyle Gibson, great. You picked up one starter. You needed at least two. You probably need three. Now you got to move Ranger Suarez in the rotation. And this already, we're seeing how this already impacted the Phillies on Saturday night. Dan, I want to know, you know, Locked On Phillies podcast. Give your podcast a plug. Yeah, Locked On Phillies. Uh, you can actually get it on the Odyssey app. The company's merged actually since I've been doing it. So, you know, a true company man here. But it's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, talking about this wonderful baseball team uh, each and every day. It's just a blast. Now, now, what are your feelings on the Suarez move? Like, do you see this kind of the same way I do? And if you don't, that's fine. But, like, I think – them moving into the rotation just creates issues in your bullpen that weren't there before. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And it's interesting because usually when I complain about these moves, like I'd have a better alternative. So it's a weird instance where I think if you're Joe Girardi or you're looking at the roster as it's currently constructed, I don't necessarily have a move that's better than starting Ranger Suarez and effectively going 
to a bullpen game, but I do not want to see Ranger Suarez moved out of this bullpen. And the real issue here is the overarching problem they have of A, developing pitchers, B, just addressing the starting rotation enough. Like if they go out, and you were talking about the trade deadline, so I agree with you. If they go out and get, say, a John Gray, Herman Marquez, either those guys from the Rockies, or and those are just names, a number of other pitchers moved at the deadline as well. If they get the deal done for Tyler Anderson, you're not in this situation. So this is not a Ranger Suarez problem. This is not even a Joe Girardi problem making this move. This is a roster problem that they're left to no other option but to start Ranger Suarez. Right, no, and I don't I don't see this as a Girardi issue. Like, I don't think Joe Girardi's necessarily doing anything wrong here. I mean... Because they're stuck. I, right, like, they're literally I, stuck. Right, I don't really know what else... You, He's supposed to do. <laughs> ...you do, but this is the thing. Like, this is why the front office needed to Could go have get went another, and got another pitcher or just get the Tyler Anderson thing right. done and not have injury lurking issues that causes that to not go through. So in terms of the trade deadline, I agree. I would have liked to see them go get another starter. I think they like kind of addressed it, but like you said, kind of put their foot just like kind of in the pool. And I agree with you. I never, it's hard to say I was disappointed in their deadline because it's kind of what I expected. I kind of expect, you know, we heard Bryce Harper about a month ago talking, we need to prove to this front office that it's worth going for. I don't think this team has done much to prove that it's really worth going for. They're in contention mathematically. They're now four and a half out. I still would have rather them kind of sewn up this rotation. So you're not starting Chase Anderson and Ranger Suarez if Eflin's currently down. But what if one of Nola or, God forbid, Wheeler goes down? Then the entire the wheels just come off the entire operation. Right. Here, right? It makes no sense why you would do this and not go out and get another starter. You fix, you fix nothing. And now, I don't know. Like, I think Ranger Suarez gives you more value as a guy you can use multiple days. So I agree, to maybe, yes. Yeah, to maybe take down multiple middle or late innings um, on different days than, than just being an opener, pitching three and four innings every fifth day. So well, now you feel about it. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go to Joe in Berwyn. What's up, Joe? Hey, gang. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Very good. Um, like to talk about the fundamentals of if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. I thought Ranger uh, was the type of ball player that I was with this type of team this year. I was okay with the position he was in to move him into a starting rotation. And, and maybe you know I can be wrong. We'll see where we are in six, seven weeks with that move. Maybe Kennedy, you know, is going to be strong replacing him back there. But that being said, I I just have this feeling that they would have been better off, and maybe they still will bring Cole Hamels in as a four, as a five starter at this point in time. And you could have left Ranger where he was in reference to that. And who would have um, been a four or five starter? Pardon me? And who who'd you say would have been a four or five starter? Sorry, I missed that. Cole Hamels. Okay, okay, Cole, yeah. You know, and, and frankly, I think there's a little fear, at least with the fan base that I've spoken to, discussing this, that, hey, if we bring in Cole and he fails, it's like we're losing everything, all the respect we had for Cole's complete career. And I, I don't feel that. I think a true fan would appreciate what he did bring and frankly, view Cole's trying to come back as a scenario where he's just 
pushing himself as a competitor. And frankly, I think there's been statements by Hamels in the past where he's one of the few that wants to be here. He knows the Philly culture, just like a Kyle Lowry in basketball has grown up in Philly. Cole Hamels knows what to expect in this organization. So that that's my hope there. Yeah, Joe, I, I would I, I I agree and I would look at to go that route too at this point, but you know, Cole still has a couple of weeks to go before he'll be ready to pitch and I do think uh the Phillies not acquiring another starter certainly makes it more likely that he ends up here. You really believe that? I hope I do. So I, I think there's I think there's a, a legitimate possibility that happens. I feel that for every moment of the clock ticking somebody else is going to grab him and Frankly, I think he's crying out. He wants to be here, too. Well, I, I think I, – now, Joe, I, I mean, I don't think Cole Hamill's going to come in here and be like a difference maker or anything. But no. he's a guy that could come in and, and hopefully, you know, give you five innings and, and keep in games, which is certainly more than the Phillies have currently. Well, it's not just that. It's just as well to say, are we any worse off with Cole – other than the risk maybe of him not performing. But when you, you see the competition, <laughs> you see what we, we're stuck with with our staff right now, Cole does not have a big bar to hurdle over compared no. to something else. No, he certainly doesn't. And and frankly, I you know, you've been doing sports for years, and how many times do those small nagging injuries where the press tells us he'll be back in 10 days they turn into a blown-up problem. And I have a funny feeling Eflin may be in that category. I'm not quite so sure he's going to come back in in 10 days, whether it's a competitive team or not, and physically be able to do things. I agree, Joe, and I appreciate the call. And I actually wanted to get to that right now because Dave Dombrowski talked about it, and I'll let you hear it. And you can let me know how you feel when you hear this comment from Dave Dombrowski. But to me, it doesn't feel too optimistic in terms of the outlook for Zach Eflin. And obviously, they need him back. Maybe if you get Zach Eflin back, maybe then you can move Ranger Suarez back to the bullpen. Because I don't, I would hope that this isn't like a thing the Phillies are permanently settled on. I think this Ranger Suarez move is kind of temporary until maybe they do bring in Hamels. Eflin gets back. If Chase Anderson pitches well, they could move. Ranger back to the bullpen, but here's Dave Dombrowski talking about the issues that this team has right now without Zach Eflin. Uh, well, I think the I do still remain optimistic that he's going to come back. I do that, but I think we needed to get a starting pitcher um, to help us. Now I'm hopeful that Zach comes back because otherwise he just replaces Zach, right? But I, I'm hopeful within two to three weeks um, he'll be. Zach will be back, and all of a sudden we can be running four established starting pitchers out there that are successful, that have been successful at the big league level, and then fill in on that fifth spot. And as you notice, I'm sure looking at our schedule that coming up, you know, 10 days from now or so, that Monday, the Mondays are off for an extended period, so you can kind of play with that. But I think it was important. I think it was really, for me, I think it was really important if we're going to compete to try to win our division, if you're only throwing two established starters out there, that, that, that makes it really tough. I think it can piecemeal a lot of things together. Or actually, our bullpen's pitched pretty well lately. When we're ahead, we, we really are in a good spot in that regard. But if you're trying to piecemeal three spots together, that's really hard. So I think 
having three established guys and hopefully a fourth one very quickly. And, you know, Vinny's just, you know, he's a veteran status. Hopefully he'll step up and pitch a little better for us on a consistent basis. Well, Vinny didn't step up and he's not in the rotation anymore, but you know, he talks about, well, you you only have two established stars. That's tough. It's tough when you have three, like it's tough when you have four, like you'd think most teams, I guess, contending teams have four, usually the fifth guy, you're looking for a fifth guy that can keep you in game. Some days they will, some days they won't. But, like, I don't know. Hearing Dave Dombrowski there didn't make me that confident about Zach Eflin. And he's not talking about, oh, yeah, we should have Eflin back soon. He said, I'm confident we'll get him back at all. Like, okay, great. Like, if you're without Zach Eflin for a month, what are you doing for that month? So now Ranger Suarez will be in the rotation for all of August. And then you got Chase Anderson. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing here with this rotation. And it's why you needed to pick up another starter and why going out and going halfway just made no sense. And then he talks about, well, you know, our bullpen's in a pretty good spot. Not really, not anymore. You just took the best guy in your bullpen out of your bullpen. So everything that you had planned in terms of what you were going to do at the back end and how the bullpen kind of settled itself. Um, I don't feel like it's all that settled anymore. Like where is Joe Girardi supposed to go when he needs a left-handed specialist, Jose Alvarado. And that's it. Now what Matt Moore is going to take on a significant role in your bullpen. You're just swapping the problems into different places. And you're really not solving anything and, and moving Suarez, even though there are limited options. Honestly, I'd rather leave Matt Moore in the rotation, keep Suarez in the bullpen. I think he's more valuable there. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Connor and King of Prussia. What's up, Connor? How are you there, Tom? Uh, this is uh, my first time calling in, and uh, baseball is not my uh, first sport, but I've actually get, got into it year on year uh, more and more. But uh, what – I do have to say about what I have seen from the Phillies and this movement of Ranger Suarez into the rotation. I think the Phillies have been rolling the dice on a lot of these guys, the three, four, five pitcher uh, from 2019-2020, where you're relying on guys like Vince Velasquez, Pavetta, and Eflin, who wasn't quite there yet. And this year we decided to roll the dice on, I think it was Anderson, Kinsler, and Matt Moore and even Velasquez and these boys, they're just not getting it done. I think the Kyle Gibson trades is a really, really strong trade. I think it's a move for next year because I think he has an additional year. He's a multi-year guy. And you get to see on this other end of looking at next year's rotation. We're going to see if Rangers going to be a guy that can step up and maybe be this hit or miss fifth rotation guy because i think when you have look when you have a look at the contracts for next season you have nola who's struggled a bit this year but really great pitcher undeniable talent wheeler and gibson both had incredible years in their respective divisions uh, but prior to the all-star break and f really stepped up in my opinion yeah but no, i don't know what you think no i hear you connor and i think you know I, I agree, like, these moves might help you for next year, but, like, I, I'm not – in the last couple months of this season, I'm not really all that interested in seeing whether Ranger Suarez can be a starter next year. Like, I'm interested in putting Ranger Suarez in the best spot to help me win games right now, and I don't think him 
starting and pitching three, four innings every fifth day, you know, really does that at this point. No, and I get that because I was at the game on Sunday and he was and he he uh, was lights out against the Braves on on last Sunday, and I think he's been really good. I think he's really stepped up since Naris decided to fall out of the uh, the closer position. But I just think uh, oh, sorry, I lost my uh, lost my point a little bit here. But um, no, I do apologize. Sid. No, you're fu- you're fine. Just yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the call. Good call. And yeah, I think. You know, when you look at it, sure. I mean, now we'll get a look at Ranger Suarez, and could he be in the rotation next year? Yeah, I think it's possible. And, okay, if you come back next year and your rotation is Wheeler, Nola, Eflin, Gibson, and Suarez, that's not bad. But, like, I refuse to let the Phillies spin this trade deadline as, oh, we're trying to put ourselves in a better position for next year. That's not what they were trying to do. Trying to put themselves in a better position for this year. And – they didn't really do that. Like, you're just interchanging your problems. You're not solving your problems. And just really quick, their logic sometimes and, like, how they arrive at these conclusions is kind of backwards. Like, they, so yesterday we didn't even get to what they gave up. Like, I was as frustrated as anyone with Spencer Howard. On the one hand, right. they give up on him this year. And Vince Velasquez, in the same day, I mean, oh, the irony, is making his 116th career start for the Phillies. I mean, talk about just like the total opposite ends of the spectrum of one guy getting like kind of giving up on him on the earlier side. And one guy just be, being given every last chance in the world. Also, well, well, the part of that is like Spencer Howard's one of the only things of value you have, which is trade. speaks to a larger organizational right. problem too. Right. This is also the second time that Dave Dombrowski has neglected to face the real issue. Like they spent $11 million this past off season on Velasquez, Moore and Anderson, bringing those guys in to fill out the rotation. Like he could have solved this problem last winter. He once again did not solve it here. And it never accounted for if Nola Eflin or Wheeler, any one of them has to miss any time at all. Like this isn't the first time that he hasn't addressed this issue. And that's what pisses me off more than anything is maybe they'd actually be a few games above 500 and leading this terrible division. If they actually addressed it in January instead of now. Right. And uh, it's, it makes no – it's frustrating. It, it makes no sense. And, um, you know, I, I just I, – I think they failed. They failed at the deadline. They failed to improve this team. And they failed to even really give themselves a chance. Like, is this team a little be- – I mean, they might be a little better, but but because of the holes you're, you're creating now in your bullpen, I'm not sure if you really are and, better. And more than anything else, they need guys who are already on the roster to step up. Like, this team wasn't good enough that they could have fixed it from a 500 team to a 90-win team in a deadline. They're going to need more from Nola. They're going to need Eflin to come back. They're going to need Zach Wheeler to still be stellar. And that's not even something that they can go out and get. And if those guys don't improve, I don't see any scenario where they make the playoffs anyway, to be honest. Right. And when we get back, we'll, we'll kind of – and Ryan will get you first right when we get back. But then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh deal that didn't go down because now that looks like a pretty significant development because – if you were just able to acquire, and I'm, this is the thing, I'm not saying the Phillies needed to go out and make huge moves. Just acquiring Tyler Anderson, I think, would have been an, enough to give them a chance. Just getting another starter would have given them an opportunity where you don't have to move Ranger Suarez and take away from a strength. And we'll give you Dombrowski's comments on what happened with the Pittsburgh deal and just some really frightening information about the state of this farm system right now. 215 592 9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. 
Coming up, we will talk a little Eagles here with training camp fully underway now. We'll let you know the latest developments from Saturday and what Nick Sirianni did on Friday at practice, which I love him taking control. And there's something he did at Friday's practice that that I think is pretty interesting. So we'll get to that coming up as well. Uh, let's go to Ryan in Harleysville. What's up, Ryan? Hello. What's up, Ryan? How's it going? Uh, it's going well, man. It's uh show's going really well today. Uh, oh, thanks. <clears throat> basically, uh, I uh, called. I called in bas- uh, because I thought that you guys were kind of supporting the the moves that the Phillies made at the trade deadline, but it seems like you are not. I just like I don't think they were bad moves. I just don't think they were. In, it, it was enough. Like they it's needed not, to make well, one more move. Well, in my opinion, it, we're not going anywhere. This team is years away from. Like we have no homegrown talent. Everything that that's going on in this team is the opposite of what was going on in two thousand eight. Yeah, I, I, the thing is, Ryan, I mean, I don't disagree that the team is in, is in a bad position long term, but I do think this division was winnable. It's, it was definitely winnable, but but we're trading away things to, like, to what? Next year when everyone gets, like, Juan Soto back, uh, this this is not, like, a long-term winnable division. I yeah I agree with that, but I don't We're, like I don't think you gave anything away all that significant though. Like I'm not honestly, I'm well, not a huge Spencer Howard fan, so I'm not like shedding any tears about them trading him. So like I mean, he seemed to be our only bright spot over the last few months. Was he really that you, you, Spencer? How you like what you saw from Spencer Howard this year? Uh. It was give and take, but again, did you like what you saw from Chase Utley when he was 24 years old? I mean, yeah. I, as if I remember, that was a long time ago, but I, I actually do think I'm I sorry liked for what you. I saw. No, yeah, I'm I, sorry for bringing up things that are 20 years old. No, but, but I mean, yeah, Ryan. I mean, I think Spencer Howard has the potential to be a decent reliever, but like, I'm not going to shed tears over trading away a decent reliever. Like, I don't think he has the right mental makeup to be a starter. Um, so I just, I don't, I don't think you gave away a ton in Spencer Howard, just because he was, one of, just because he was one of the top prospects in the Philly system. That's not really, that doesn't well, mean a whole Tom, I totally agree with you. Yeah. But I, that is not bad, but like, was Ryan Madsen that? Ryan Madsen was a good setup, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, I think that Tom, uh, I think he I think he could have been like he could have been somebody that had some nasty stuff coming out of the bullpen. Right. And Ryan, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks. And he could have been. But that's the thing. Like, this is not a team that I feel like is close enough to a World Series championship where they're worried about like what their setup man's going to do in three years. Like they can find you can find a setup guy when you're ready to go win. Like, that's that's the thing. But first, you need to establish a farm system. And this brings us to the real point here. And, and you know, we'll talk about what happened with the Texas deal and 
just an astonishing astonishing piece of information from that deal. But uh, first, it, it all kind of started with the Tyler Anderson situation with this Pittsburgh deal that fell through. And, you know, a lot of speculation whether there was anything fishy going on because if you don't know the history of it, Ben Sherrington, now, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong here, Sherrington took over for Theo when he went to Chicago, right? And when, when Theo Epstein left and went to Chicago, I believe Ben Sherrington took over as GM of the Red Sox. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I, I believe I have that timeline correct. Right. And then Sherrington was let go, and Dombrowski took over for him in Boston. Yes, Dombrowski was the second guy after Theo, and now they're on their third. Right. Dombrowski was fired midseason, I want to say. I'll check the, the timeline, but that sounds correct. Right. So... There was rumors floating about, and Mike, Mike Angelina had brought it up to me originally, that maybe there was some shady business going on because Sherrington didn't like that Dombrowski took his job, whatever. And, you know, the Pittsburgh deal, the Phillies seemed to have a deal done for Tyler Anderson. I was driving down to the ballpark 4 p.m. on Tuesday, and there are all these reports it's done. It was kind of, uh, you know, kind of funny. Like, if you don't know, my other job is – producing engineering games down in the ballpark and Scott is having Dave Dombrowski on in the booth for the pregame show and at this point we're getting all these reports that the deal is hit a snag and Dombrowski can't make any comments about it at the point and made no comments off air as well and I guess they're trying to work through it and whatever but obviously they couldn't work through it and later that night Tyler Anderson gets dealt to Seattle but here was Dombrowski on Friday after the deadline talking about whether anything fishy went on from Pittsburgh's end in regards to Tyler Anderson. Do you think there was any impropriety between Pittsburgh and Seattle the other day? I do not. I, I do not. And I'll even tell you that uh, I've known Ben Sherrington for a long time, and I saw some speculations of things. Um it's never easy when you replace somebody in a job, but we offered Ben an opportunity to stay with us. Um, we, we talked about, it. he called me the other day. Yeah. The days kind of fly by here. I think yesterday, just to kind of explain his situation and what took place. And, um, and I understood it. Um, so no, I don't think there was any, but really what had taken place is he explained without getting into full detail, they had the ability to make a couple of deals that were basically right there. And they chose ours. And then when they had the difficulty with the medical with one of the players, um, they decided that, I mean, they exchanged some names with us that would replace them. We thought they were a little bit high um, as far as the value was concerned. And rather than lose the opportunity to move them somewhere else, um, we just, they decided to make that move. So that was the right to do so. But no, I don't think there was any improprieties in that regard. Now, what does that tell you? about the Phillies farm system. When when these type of things typically happen, they hit a snag and usually they end up getting worked out. Like uh when a deal is that far along where all the reporters are are reporting that the deal is done, Tyler Anderson will be a Philly, once it gets to that point, very rarely do you see it completely fall apart to the point where the deal does not end up going through. Typically, okay, they're concerned about one player's medicals. That player comes out. Another player goes in. 
and you are able to get the deal done. What does it tell you about the farm system that there is nobody else of that level in the Philly system that they could just swap in and get that deal done? That there was nobody else that the Phillies could part with to acquire Tyler Anderson. It just shows how just incredibly depleted this farm system is. That, you know, they had to go up a complete other tier to make that deal. Because I don't, I honestly don't think Pittsburgh was trying to screw over Dombrowski. I don't think Sherrington was trying to screw some Dombrowski here. I really don't. I think Pittsburgh was trying to do the best deal. And I think if the Phillies could have replaced that prospect with another who was appealing, they could have gotten the deal done. But the Phillies have nothing in their farm system whatsoever. And I got to pass this along because, and, and this was Evan Grant, who writes for the Texas Rangers, tweeted this out last night. And this is truly astonishing, where the Phillies get also in the deal where they get Gibson and they get, um, and they get uh, uh, Kennedy and the, uh, don't forget about the $4 because they need that money to stay under the tax. But they also got this, this guy, Hans Kraus, a pitcher, which that's an interesting name, Hans Kraus, uh, for a major. Uh, I, I, I heard them talking about on the broadcast last night, Dan. I don't think there's ever been a Hans in the major league. So, so, so we will. The Phillies rather will be making history if if, if this guy makes if, the majors. If, if if the guy makes the majors, and there's still time to ruin him. There, oh, believe believe me, there is. So if he makes the majors, he will be the first Hans. Yes, to make uh, so that's that's very interesting. So that'll be a big historical night. I'm sure that'll oh, sell out yeah. the ballpark. When, oh, I'm sure uh, when, when he gets the call up. Yeah, very exciting. But this guy gets traded to the Phillies. He was the 19th ranked prospect in the Texas Ranger system. He is now immediately after the trade the fourth ranked prospect in the Philly system. Think about think about that. Like, and I, I, I mentioned it last night. We're not talking about Tampa. We're not talking about the Dodgers. We're not talking about one of the premier organizations in Major League Baseball. We're talking about the Texas Rangers. This guy was 19th in their farm system. He's traded here. He's fourth behind who? Mick Abel, Bryson Stott, and I forget who's third. I mean, why not Mick's not up there? Um how about that? You draft a guy number one overall five years ago. He's got absolutely no trade value. Nobody has any interest in Mickey Moniak. But Hans Kraus goes from 19th in Texas's system to fourth in the Philly system. And this is why Middleton, you know, you got to go over the tax, dude. Like, when you decide in 2019, I'm going to spend all this money, then you got to just keep spending because that's your only way out of it. Because you don't have players to trade. You don't have prospects to make your team better. And if you don't have prospects to make your team better, you've got to just spend and keep spending and spending. And that's why I don't want to hear about the luxury tax. This this almost said a bad word there. This crap from Dombrowski, the, the luxury tax wasn't an issue. It's ridiculous. Did you see that stat about Kraus, Dan? Yes, I did. I knew he was fourth ranked in the Philly system. I didn't. I wasn't as familiar with the Rangers system, but nineteenth is jarring. And just to give even more context on it, MLB.com ranked all of the farm systems in baseball back in March. The Rangers were twenty-first. Oh my God! The Phillies, by the way, 
We're 23rd. So I want to know what this drop-off was. Well, uh, the latest I saw was the Phillies are 27th. Now It's probably gotten worse relative I, to other teams. Right. So. I mean, Spencer Howard's value has plummeted. Even sent it for – but just to give you – so as of earlier this year, the Rangers were not even considered one of the – on the better half of farm systems in baseball. They're trying to build it up. Well, I mean, think about this. Like, we talked for weeks about uh, go get Craig Kimbrell. Basically, the Cubs said, we have interest in Mick Abel. And if you're not trading him, we don't want anybody Because why would you – that starts the conversation for them. Think about all the other teams. Like, the White Sox ended up getting him. Think about all the other teams that could beat the Phillies deal. Like, people were talking so big, whether it was Chris Bryant or Craig Kimbrell or Byron Buxton. I'm like, they're not going to get any of these guys, A, because they're – Offers are going to get beat, or going to get beat, and B, like you're talking about going all in, just finishing out the, the rotation. They don't have enough where you can justify. Like this team isn't good enough where you can justify giving up the last of your farm system. And by the way, you're scraping the bottom of like the jar here. You don't, you can't justify scraping the bottom of the jar to go after those guys just to finish a few games above 500 and literally have nothing. But what, left. what's crazy to me is you have just nobody that anybody's interested in. Like, that you go to the Cubs, and I know the Cubs ended up getting a nice price from Chicago, you know, for, White Sox, for Kimbrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know they ended up getting a decent a decent haul, but, like, the fact that you call them, and, and you're, cause you're not talking about Scherzer, you're not talking about Trey Turner. Well, they just don't have enough. A like, guy, no, right. not even close to enough. But, yeah. but what I mean is, like, you're not talking about a caliber player like that. Like, you're talking about a, a closer. Kimbrel's good, but he's a closer making $16 million next year. The Cubs were anxious to get rid of him. Like, they wanted to trade him. And you have one prospect they have any interest in. And if you're not trading that guy, they, they have nobody else in your entire minor league system interests them at all. And like, you that talk, is jarring. Yes. And you you want to talk about, like, you know, it, they were, like, teams not knowing whether they're going to buy or sell or not going all in. The Cubs going all in on selling. Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, Kimbrell, like, all fan favorites. Three of those guys who are on the World Series team, none of them play for the Cubs anymore. Like the, And they got... Really good returns on all of them. And what's amazing is, like, the Cubs just blew up their entire team. The Phillies are one game better than that. Yeah, I know. well, that's where I was the, going with it. The yeah. Nationals <laughs> blew up their entire team. The Phillies are three games better than they are. That's the, that's the difference between a team going all in on selling because they won the World Series five years ago and the Phillies were only halfway into this playoff drought and saying, well, we know what it takes to win. We're going to try and get back there. And, you know, by the time they get back there, the Phillies will still probably be 500, and we'll be sitting here like idiots at the trade deadline saying, like, eh, maybe they can go get whoever the Kyle Gibson is at that point. And, like, that, they'll get criticized now, and I'm sure, like, the, the, the you know, the fans and the media in Chicago and Washington are pretty upset. But, like, they're doing the right thing. Like, what the Cubs and the Nationals are doing now is what the Phillies should have done in, like, 2013. And, like a Phillies- wa- and, and they're way too... Right. Far removed from that to go back, right? Yeah. And if the Phillies did, if the Phillies did in 2013, because I remember leading up to that deadline, I was you know working that day, and like like that year specifically, Chase Utley and Cliff Lee had legitimate value where you could have gotten significant return for them, but they didn't do it, and you end up waiting too long. And like what the Nationals and Cubs did, while it's painful, it's going to end up having them back in contention much quicker than than it would have been if they had tried to hang on. And this is why the Phillies have the longest playoff drought in the National League, because they wait too They don't strike while the iron's hot. They wait too long on everything. And teams like this who get ahead of it, knowing they're going to get criticized, they're not trying to pander to the fans, like actually come back and, and 
I'm not tr- trying to pretend the Cubs have some long history of winning, right? Like they ended their hundred plus year drought five years ago, and now they're rebuilding. Like they got their one title, and they're trying to get back there. But they have like a GM, and you know who knows what they're doing. Who knows what they're doing? You know. And honestly, that's how why I was fine with the Phillies, like just going for it this year, because it's like honestly, long term, I don't see them like winning this division or getting to the playoffs anytime soon on merit. So I figured this is probably the This is the year. Chance. You gotta try and capitalize right. while the iron's hot. And instead they got they prioritize staying under the tax. So pri- right. Prioritize staying under the tax. Yeah. And we had a caller earlier saying that this is like a, a move for future years. Kyle Gibson's a career four forty two ERA pitcher, having like the best year of his career. Right. So they're trying to strike on two months of that. You know, it's, it, it's not exactly a uh, forward thinking move. It's it's just terrible. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four if you want to get in. Uh, Mike in South Philly will get you after the break, and then you, if you'd like to join, talking about the Phillies and the deadline, which, okay, you got a couple guys, but you didn't do enough, and the Phillies did the absolute worst thing they could have done, which is go halfway. You either had to commit to going for it, or you had to commit to getting rid of guys, uh, just going and, and getting a couple players that don't really solve your problems is the worst possible solution. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. If you watch the game on uh, Saturday night, you know, Bryce trying to make a show of himself, gets a big hit and then tries stealing second base. And, you know, he had a couple big stolen bases last week, but uh, big out. Uh, and and well, I'll get to my Bryce stuff tomorrow. I, I you know I'm just I'm just tired of the guy. Like I just he's I, just a gritty Philly guy, Tom. The, he's just trying to hustle. You know, get, create some havoc on the base paths. I mean, there's no question he tapped out of that game the other day. We were talking about it during the game. He tapped out. Game two Thursday. He didn't he think they had a chance to win, and then yeah, yeah, he tapped out. Yeah. And then the second he leaves, they make a comeback. And magically, he's fine on Friday. Okay. Well, and he said it post game too. He was like, "Yeah, I'll be good to go." Yeah, he went. Yeah, he's fine. He he just you know he down seven nothing. He he's wanted like, to save himself some some wear and tear. He tapped out. I mean, that's that's what losers do. Yeah. And Bryce Harper. <laughs> uh, I mean, if and I take heat for like my Bryce Harper criticisms all the time. If you're okay with the guy making three hundred thirty million dollars, who has sixteen homers and under forty RBI on August first, okay. I mean, I expect more from my superstar player than that. Like, he, he no, he, he's I don't know what good, else not great. He missed time, but he's not elite. And when you make that kind of money, more it's fair to expect more from a he's, guy. He's on pace for okay. So what? You got a third of the season left. He's on pace for then twenty four homers. A little bit more than a third. Uh, I think. Is it well? One hundred sixty two divided by three. What is that? Fifty eight. So about a third. And it is about okay. So yeah. it is about so yeah, it's about, about a third. exactly a third, pretty much. So he's on pace. Yeah, for August what? September. What am I saying? Yeah. Twenty four homers and like sixty RBI. Is that that's about right? The yeah. So the I mean to be fair, I would like to see the number of chances he had to drive in runs. I'm not trying to make excuses. Well, lately, for the guy. lately, lately, lately he has. Lately he has. But for a majority of the season. Like, remember when he started the season? How many solo home runs did he start the year with? Because, like, no one was on base for him. I mean, that's an excuse. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, no. You're not, the, you're no, not. no, no, no. When guys are on base, that's when you got to hit your home run. No, I, no, I know. I know. And, and he doesn't come through in a number of situations. I'm, it just, it, overall, when I look at a guy's RBI total, like, opportunities 
factor into it. And I'm not trying to sure. make excuses I mean, for the guy. No, no, that's true. And it just, man, when I think back to that day when they signed him, how excited we were. He, but he's just, he's just not that good. Like he's just not that good. He's he's not worth he's not worth it. It wasn't worth making that kind of commitment. And like Dan, would you agree that this team's long term future and maybe even short term future and what they could do flexibility payroll wise that they would be better off if they just did not sign Bryce Harper? Well, it's easy to I so overall yes, it's better. It, it's easy to say that because the team has been mediocre since. Like if the team was in a better position, they tried to fast forward the entire timeline. Is the bottom line here? They went and got Real Muto. They went and signed Bryce. They wanted to create some interest. They tried to win right away. They weren't ready to do so. If this team was ready to win right now, and there was a better team, and they were in the middle of a playoff push, and like legitimately on pace to win ninety ninety five games, and Bryce Harper was playing this way then I don't think we would be looking at it the same way because I always kind of knew from the day they signed him that the back half of this contract was going to be a disaster. They stretched it out because that's what he wanted. That's what it took to get him. Scott Boris wanted, and he wanted a third a contract for the rest of his career till he's, you know, till he's 40 and can barely play anymore, right? So the point was to try and win on the front half of that deal, and they're not winning on the front half of that deal, and he's got back problems, and the team's but- 500. Not, I mean, I'm not saying he couldn't do more, but largely because of other issues. And so you're saying, so of course, how could you argue that the contract right. has been worth it? You're going to pay $330 million to a guy who at best is going to see a, guy, a team one or two games above 500 at and, this current rate? And this is exactly the problem, is that if you're, once you, once you make, and I've been saying this forever, once you make that decision in 2019, you got to go all in. Well, and, you're, you're jumping in the pool right. with, and you, know, you, the checkbook. you can't just, you know, kind of dip your toe in from there on. So it's frustrating. 215-592-9494. Uh, let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's up, Mike? Yeah, how's it going, Tom? I'm all right, man. How are you? Yeah, not bad. So, um, so it was like uh, maybe a few weeks ago I called in. I said, you know, Philadelphia sports are kind of, you know, at a crossroads. And, you know, a bunch of our – well, all of our teams can – you know, with a few moves, bold moves, aggressive moves, can kind of turn the fortunes and uh, get things headed in a, you know, a much uh, more positive direction. And um, after the trade deadline, that's uh, strike one. <laughs> strike one, 0 for 1 for Philadelphia well, sports. Well, Mike, we had talked about it. And, like, even though we're, I think, of the same mind with the Phillies, that it's a winnable division. If you want to go by and really try to go for this division, fine. This is the worst possible thing they could have done. Like, um, And this was my yeah. fear, is that – They'd go halfway, they'd make a couple tinker moves here and there, but do nothing really to change the equation. And now you're taking Suarez out of the bull. You're taking your best reliever out of the bullpen so he can, I guess, be an opener of sorts. It's just, it it makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, they do everything wrong. Everything. It's incredible. Like, they they can't develop. They make the wrong uh, decisions at the minor league level, at the major league level. They make the wrong decisions at the ownership level. Like, he can't even find the right guys to run the front office. Like, they do everything wrong. Honestly, I'm so sick of this franchise. Philadelphia just needs an enema of the – like, like, I'm dead serious. Like, if if I had my druthers, I would want the Phillies to relocate to another city and just get a new expansion team. And you could rename the expansion team the Phillies, and, you know, you could give the Phillies to, like – you know, another city, move them to like Green Bay or something and then rename them. I just want to start fresh because this, this is such a toxic, loser, pathetic franchise. They're just everything about them just makes you feel icky. They don't do anything right. 
And it, it all, and again, it all starts with John Middleton. Like this time, the second I saw, and look, I predicted, by the way, I knew that the, the Mets were going to make a bold move and the Phillies were going to do something just, you know, middling or, or very minor because that's what they do. And the second I saw the reports that the Phillies got cash considerations back, I knew what the trade deadline was all about. Yep. Yep, exactly. It was yeah. about staying under the tax, doing exactly. what you could, but exactly. staying under the tax. Exactly. And it tells you that John Middleton, once again, and we talked about this many times in the past, he cares more about saving money than making the playoffs for the first time in 10 years. And he would rather give up superior prospects than take on money. He would rather gut his farm system, which already sucks, even more than just pay a little bit extra money. And by the way, when you, when you go over the luxury tax a little bit, the penalty isn't that much. Like, it's only a few million dollars if they would have went over. That's like, you know, the price of like a middle reliever. So he would rather save that money than give uh, – or, yeah, he would rather save that money and, you know, sacrifice better prospects to hurt his farm system even more. He is such a fraud. Seriously, have we ever had a guy as big of a fraud in the city as John Middleton? By the way, I'm going to start calling him Littleton from now on because he's small-minded. Have we ever had a fraud as as big as him in this city? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would I would put Chip pretty high on that list. I think Chip was a pretty significant at least he made fraud. the playoffs one year. Yeah, no, no, I agree, Mike. And and this, what's so frustrating? And Middleton, he wants to have it both ways. Like he wants to talk like he's this big spender, but then they make moves like this where it's painfully obvious. And then for Dombrowski to come out and immediately, like unprompted, too, like. He knows where the question is is going. Like Salisbury asked him about, you know, are you under the tax? And he immediately jumps to, oh, well, the tax wasn't an issue. Like, you're going to really insult us like that? Like, we're not idiots. You're getting money back in the deal to make sure you stay under the tax. Of course the tax was an issue. And there's no doubt, like, you see the reports early in the week. And I thought it was odd where I forget who exactly reported. It may have been Heyman, Jason Stark, um, but – there was a report early in the week that, oh, when you look at the Phillies with the deadline, luxury tax will not be an issue. Like, they Heyman. will be willing. Okay, it was it was Heyman. Yeah. Like, is there any doubt that the Phillies leaked that out intentionally to try to get that out? So, you know, knowing how this was going to go down, but wanting to get it out, the tax wouldn't be an issue? When, of course, it is. Oh, of course. Yeah, they, they leaked that. And then, you know, if they're ever asked about it after the season, why they didn't make a bigger move, they'll make some excuse. Like, oh, the team's on a prospect. Right. We would have been willing to go. No, BS. You were. You had no intention of going over the luxury tax. You're so full of it. There's such frauds. And honestly, you know how like, you know, we we talk about sometimes how like I root for our teams to lose for specific reasons. Like for the Eagles, it was the draft pick. You know, in the past for the Eagles, like when it was Chip Kelly, I wanted them to lose so Chip Kelly could get fired. So you know, with our teams, I'm perfectly willing to bite the bullet if I think it, you know it's for the greater good. I'm taking that approach again with the Phillies, Tom, and, and, I, and I'm not. I'm not in the heat of the moment. I'm not just frustrated. I le- and I thought about this. I legitimately do not want them to make the playoffs, and not only that, I want them to go on a major losing streak, uh, because I think it would benefit the Phillies. Well, it may not benefit the Phillies, but it would one thing. It would give John Middleton a major reality check, uh, because I always think big picture. If the Phillies would have kind of did this pathetic, uh, you know, display the trade deadline and made the playoffs. It would tell John Middleton that he doesn't need to go all in and he could have success. He cannot. He needs to learn his lesson. And he, what, what needs to happen to John Middleton, now look, he might just be cheap for the rest of his days, and, and that's just going to be how he is. But if there's a tiny percentage that something can kick this guy in the rear end and get him to realize the error of his ways, 
then what needs to happen is the Mets go on a major winning streak because they made a big deal. The Phillies go on a major, major losing streak, and he's sitting after the season going, man, we were only a couple games back at the deadline, and we finished the season like 10 games back? Like, I mean, it was, you know, Gabe Kapler, those September collapses, he just kept bumping up against him. You know, that's the issue. He needs, John Middleton needs a major, major reality check. He needs to learn that you're not going to win this division and you're not going to break this playoff drought unless you go over the tax. He needs to learn that. And I want him to sit after the season and realize what he hamstrung this team and to you know, not being able to put a quality team on the field that can make the postseason. And naturally, and it's kind of poetic justice that after you know, doing that pathetic display at the trade deadline that they lost two games in a row to one of the worst teams in baseball, it's karma. It's perfect karma. It's delicious karma. I, I, just, I can't root for a team that has John Middleton as the owner. He's just such a loser. He's so pathetic. And I know fans are desperate to make the playoffs, but I'm sorry. Like, this guy needs to understand that this isn't going to cut it. And, and I, want him, I want him to have that reality check at the end of the season. Yeah, I get it, Mike, and I appreciate it. Yeah, man. take Thanks care, man. Call. And, yeah, I think, you know, uh, but I don't think anything's going to change. We've seen enough to know nothing's going to change. Like, the Phillies will keep operating the way they've been operating. And, and you know, they'll keep – and Middleton, the one thing I do think he does care about, like – fan pressure but he's going to keep making bad decisions like they keep making these these just dumb decisions like short-sighted but not things that are really going to help you uh in the long term and like you know like Joe Girardi I don't think was a is a bad manager but Joe Girardi I don't think was necessarily the right guy for this job um Dave Dombrowski I don't think is necessarily a bad GM but he wasn't or, or like wasn't the right GM for this situation and the Phillies are in this position now where, where they're in a division that is going to be better for years to come. Um, and at this point, you know, I think this was their best chance and I think they squandered it. And if, if they, if you don't have prospects to trade, you need to give other teams some sort of financial incentive. And if the Phillies were able to take on more salary, and they were willing to go into the tax, they could have done things to legitimately help them, but they're not willing to do that. So Middleton can talk all he wants about how bad he wants to win, but the reality is he really doesn't want to win win all that bad or else he would, you know, pay the money it takes to go into the tax and truly commit um, the way he needs to. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. We will continue talking Phillies if you wish, but I did want to mention uh, – some things about the Eagles as training camp is underway. They had a um, another workout on Saturday, and we'll get into that a little bit when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly uh, with you on a Sunday morning. If you want to get in, 215 592 9494. Is how you join the show. Talking about the Phillies a lot of the night. Trade deadline as they um, lose the first two games of their series to the Pirates. And, I mean, their schedule um, and the the weakness of it was supposed to be one of their advantages as you head down the stretch here. I mean, they were supposed to be able to take advantage against some uh, poor competition. Um 
Pirates being one of those teams and squandering the first two games of the series. See what happens later today. Kyle Gibson will make his Phillies debut on the mound. He will start this one. And, you know, you also got to we, – we've talked so much about the deadline tonight and the pitching rotation and obviously falling behind early in games. And I don't really count this one. You fell behind 2 nothing. That's not a significant deficit. But this week they have fallen behind pretty significantly in several games. Fell behind 7 nothing Friday night. You know, six to one on Tuesday. Um, they haven't led a game in progress since last weekend. Okay, uh, but yeah, they they've been behind uh, significantly in a lot of these games. Seven nothing game two on Thursday, but at the same time, this offense can't be let off the hook here. I mean, they have had opportunities um, to score. They had a lot of opportunities Saturday night, couldn't get it done, and. Let's face it, the first two games of this series, they're not facing real quality competition here um, on the other on the other side. I mean, Will Crow is a guy who's got an ERA over five on Friday night. He totally shut them down. Uh, TJ Brubaker, who you faced on Saturday night, is another guy who's got an ERA over four and a half. You should be able to score runs off of him. And, you know, for a team that's built on offense, just not not going to get it done. And they need to be better as well. It can't all just be put on the pitching. So we've been talking about the Phillies for a decent amount of the show tonight. But I did want to turn it to the Eagles here and uh, talk a little bit about what's uh, going on in camp. We'll let you hear at the top of the hour Nick Sirianni, who spoke after camp on Saturday. Um, but probably the biggest news from Saturday is Vontae Smith left practice early with an apparent leg injury. Now, they don't think it's too serious. This is not an issue that should hurt him long-term, stayed on the field, watched the rest of practice, didn't go into the medical tent, so it doesn't seem like anything significant there. Uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside also left practice uh, for a little bit, but he's fine. Jalen Rager returned. Now, Jalen Rager had failed his conditioning test. I'm not sure if this is anything to be really worried about I mean apparently he was dealing with the death of a very close friend um he was participating in some level of practice in individual drills on Saturday so you hope Jalen Rager uh, gets back and gets ready to go some other things of note from practice um as far as the offensive line competition goes uh Andre Dillard does not look good now That's obviously the biggest kind of battle here in camp is Dillard versus Mulata. And Jordan Mulata has so far looked significantly better. And I think, like, I don't know how the Eagles would prefer this to pan out. I guess they'd prefer for, well, obviously they prefer both guys to look good. And then it kind of be an issue where, you have a really solid backup. Um, one of the guys starts. Uh, the other one can kind of be a solid backup. And who knows, maybe even you can utilize in the trade market, even though solid left tackles are not things I'm really looking uh, to trade. But um, Jordan Mulata looks like the better guy. And at this point, barring a crazy turnaround, and very early in camp, but we, I think, have all kind of expected Jordan Mulata would be the better player. Jordan Mulata 
I thought did a, a very good job last year uh, when he had to fill in for Jason Peters. And I think he'll ultimately win this job. I think, um, you know, this should be Jeff Stoutland's decision in regards to who wins that job. Not many, not many teams have coaches and not all positional coaches are have that kind of reputation where they're making these kind of decisions. But Jeff Stoutland's one of those guys. He's been here through multiple coaching regimes, uh, came in with Chip, lasted throughout all Doug's regime, and now is staying um, under Nick Sirianni. I think he should ultimately be the one to select who starts at left tackle. And barring a turnaround, I think Jordan Mulata is going to win that job, and rightfully so. Um, But one thing that was really interesting about training camp and – What's going on? And and one of the biggest questions coming in was Nick Sirianni and how his approach, how his personality would really mesh with this roster. And one thing Nick Sirianni did on Friday I thought was very interesting and, and I thought really can be a tone setter for a team who he's trying to win over because, let's face it, I mean, they don't know him very well. They're getting to learn about Nick Sirianni throughout this process, just as we all are. And he stopped practice on Friday uh, about an hour in because he didn't like what he was seeing, gathered the team at midfield. Uh, I don't know if he necessarily scolded them. It doesn't sound like that was the nature of the conversation. But here was Nick Sirianni um, during his press conference today talking about why he stopped practice on Friday. You know, I just wanted practice to – finish uh the way we wanted to finish there's so many games in the nfl that come down to the last drive right and so i just wanted it to finish strong and i felt like the defense was having a a good day and the offense was having a below average day and just wanted them to know that hey whether you're having a good day or a bad day when we get into the fourth quarter and it's tight you always got to play the next play and the next play and the next play and you can't you can't think about what's going to happen and in two plays from now or next drive, and you sure as heck can't think about what happened the, the play before. And it was just a good example of how a season goes. There's ups and downs in the season. There's ups and downs in the game. There's ups and downs in practice. It's just about how you finish and play the next play. And, and I just thought that was a good opportunity to talk about that with the team. And I think that's an important thing to do when you see things that, that you don't like and shouldn't happen. You know, you should gather the guys around and and correct it. And, you know, I think that's something that will go over well within the locker room is to know that Nick Sirianni's not a pushover. And if he's seeing performance that he thinks is subpar, that it is not just going to be accepted, that it's going to stop and they're going to talk about some things and try to figure it out. And, you know, Mike Garofalo, who uh, works for NFL Network, um, way back used to work here at WIP, um, talked about this a little bit uh, and whether the players on this roster are buying into Nick Sirianni. The best line was attacking rest. They're inside attacking rest. I, I love <laughs> to attack rest, Colleen. Uh, that's my favorite way to attack. Um, he's got – look, this is a guy that, that burst onto the scene here in Philadelphia with his opening press conference, which was an unmitigated disaster to the point where I know for a fact the players were texting back and forth with each other saying – Oh, my God, what have we gotten ourselves into? What is this? Because they hadn't met him yet, and everything was virtual and all that stuff. 
Um, but I think that they're quickly learning that behind that little bit of, for lack of a better term, goofiness, it, it's, I, I, heard this, I heard my friend Ruben Frank from NBC Sports Philadelphia. Uh, he was on with the WIP Morning Show today, and I was listening on my way down here. Uh, and I think he nailed it. it. It's genuine. You can't fake it. Okay, if you try and mm -hmm. bring that energy, that attack, all this stuff, Mooch, you know, you get up in front of a group of guys and you try to do all that stuff, we're going to be energy, compete, yada, 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 all that stuff, but it's not real, it's going to fall flat. I don't think it's falling flat right now. Now, this is not to say that Nick Sirianni is going to be lifting the Lombardi Trophy in two years. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I do know that the reaction that the players had after the initial press conference, that's gone, and they are starting to warm up to him a little bit. And that's a good sign, and obviously there's a long way to go here. I mean, we're on day four of training camp with Nick Sirianni, and we won't really know what kind of coach he is until we get into the season. Um, but encouraging start. It's just nice to have football back, and uh, preseason begins uh, this week for some teams and for the Eagles in about 10 days. So uh, should be fun coming up here as we get into football season. But that's kind of the latest from camp. We'll let you hear more from Nick Sirianni uh, at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Open lines right now if you would like to join. If you want to talk about the Eagles, um, you want to talk about the left tackle uh, competition going on right now, what you're interested in in camp, you're welcome to. And also we'll continue talking about the Phillies at the deadline as well if you would like to join and what they did, whether you believe it's enough. I do not uh, needed to do more, and I think it is a real disappointment. The Phillies basically uh, did the worst thing they could do. You don't choose a true direction either way, um, and you really didn't, in my mind, solve any of your problems. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, with you on a Sunday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. we got open lines right now if you want to get in. Um, and I did want to touch on the Sixers draft as well. I haven't talked at all about that uh, when I was on last night or so far tonight. We'll get more into it uh, in the next few nights as well. Um, but... Uh, draft the other night, which I found just not very interesting at all, except for the one trade that was made, which I, I think LeBron James at this point in his career may have just lost his mind. Like, I don't like nothing happens with the Lakers without LeBron signing off on it. Nothing happens on any of the teams LeBron plays on without his say-so, and having some level of input. And I don't get it, but this Russell Westbrook to the Lakers trade is just going to be an absolute disaster. I, I have no idea what the Lakers are thinking. I have no clue why they believe that Russell Westbrook is the answer to their problems, but they trade Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, um, Contavious Caldwell Pope and a first round pick to the Wizards for Russell Westbrook. Um, and I don't know how that's going to work with LeBron and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. Like they literally have no shooting on that team now. 
Now there are rumors that Dwight Howard is going to return to the Lakers. And I, I just think LeBron may have lost his mind. Like, they could have traded. Apparently, they basically had a deal in place to trade Kuzma and Harrell to the Kings for Buddy Heald. Like, I don't love Buddy Heald. That would have been a better move than Russell Westbrook. Like, Russell Westbrook stinks. Like, I don't know if anybody else felt this way, but when the Sixers were playing them in that series, anytime Russell Westbrook had the ball, I was perfectly happy. Like, I wanted him to shoot as many times as humanly possible. I think he is a player at this point in his career that, and he's kind of always been this, but he did actually used to be useful. Um, But at this point, he puts up numbers, but he's not a player who helps you win. Um, And I know in the NBA, the the thought is you gather enough star talent, you get the kind you you get as many top end players as you can and you figure it out and normally i think that's the right way to go like with brooklyn i think that was the right way to go to you know you put kyrie and kd together you trade for james harden and you work around that it's not going to work with the lakers and i don't understand what they're doing with russell westbrook makes no sense can i just say that this is kind of what annoys me about lebron like he's an all-time great i, I enjoy watching him play I have basically my entire life. But if you're going to be the one making the moves, if you're basically the GM, le GM, as people like to call him, then I don't want to hear complaining midway through the season that the Lakers don't have any supporting cast because you went out and got Russell Westbrook instead and traded away all your complimentary players. Like, this is your fault that you went and got Westbrook who's not going to add any value to your team. Right. Yeah. Like, like it's so kind of annoys me. About, I, I hate the people who are like, well, LeBron doesn't. Like, for years, we've been hearing it in Cleveland, now with the Lakers. Like, he doesn't have any help. The team around him stinks. He has to carry the supporting cast around him. Who assembled that supporting cast? Like, you did. Right. So, like, you made the bed go lay in it. I don't want to hear any, you know, excuse making for you. Right. I mean, yeah. No, it's true. And Westbrook is going to be a disaster there. I don't get it from the Lakers perspective at all. And I, I just don't understand what the Lakers are doing, but as far as the Sixers go, they draft Jaden Springer from Tennessee. Um, this guy, Petrushev, who used to play for Gonzaga played overseas last year. He's going to be a stash. And then Charles Bassey from Western Kentucky, who is a big man who I guess will come in and, uh, you know, possibly be a candidate to be Joel Embiid's backup. Um, But who knows? It's hard for young players to come in and play a serious role. As far as the draft goes, I I mean, I don't think the Sixers got anything that's going to immediately come in and make an impact for them next year. Um, And it's hard to find that when you're drafting where the Sixers are, when you're drafting late in the first round, when you have picks in the second round. It's not it's not easy to find difference-making pieces. And um, the Sixers, as far as the draft goes, did not really get anybody who I think will come in and make a, a difference for them this year. But when you look at where we are with the Sixers right now, everything this offseason, and, and free agency starts this week, everything this offseason is really about what happens with Ben Simmons. And as of now... There does not seem to be much traction at all in that regard 
when it comes to Simmons. Now, the Sixers obviously want to trade him. There have been uh, reports over the last week about the asking price, and Daryl Morey is asking a ton. He's asking for, you know, I I think he asked for four first-round picks, three swaps, and a young player from San Antonio. He asked for Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Ananobi, and the number four pick from Toronto. You know, he is asking for a significant amount, as he should be. Like, at this point, I think that's the right way to go. You start high, and I guess you'll have to work your way down. But at this point, there's been very little traction on a Ben Simmons deal. Here's Woj on where he sees the Simmons uh, negotiations standing at this point. I think really the big trade talk over the next couple days is going to continue to be centered around Ben Simmons and Philadelphia Uh, Daryl Morey and Elton Brand and their front office, they've been canvassing the league uh, to see what they can get for Ben Simmons. And they're asking for a lot, almost a Harden-esque type package Mm. of all-star player draft picks, uh, pick swaps. Now, that's where you're going to start. And this is a player, remember, who has four years left on his deal. They don't have to do a trade by the draft or by the start of next season, certainly. But... They're motivated to find a deal out there, and and they continue to talk to teams. I don't get the sense, though, that they're close to anything, that there's anything imminent, that they have a team yet that's ready to unload the kind of assets they would like to get at this point for Ben Simmons. And, you know, the deal is just not there right now, and uh, I don't know where it comes from, and I don't know how this all plays out, but Bradley Beal is reportedly happy now in Washington. I don't get it. Like, and, you know, I know we have typically looked at guys asking out and guys looking to go somewhere else is weak. But at this point, it's kind of just what you have to do. And I almost feel like Bradley Beal at this point, you really want to stay at Washington? Like, it's kind of a loser move. He's the only NBA player in the modern era ever to be too loyal to a bad franchise. I've never seen anything like it. Right. It, I mean, it's a loser move at this point. Like, he can waste the rest of his career in Washington, which is exactly what he'll do. Like, and I Congratulations, you'll put up numbers. Like, who I, cares? I think he, he likes the city, and he wants to— Be well-liked. He wants to not even be well-liked. Um, I think he wants to, to make it work there, but it's just not going to. Like, he can think that, okay, well, now things are going to be different, and now— They'll be able to surround me properly. They don't have the Westbrook contract on the books, but I just don't see it that way. Like, that's a bad franchise. I don't think much is going to change there. And I, uh, he's too good of a player to be playing on an irrelevant team for an irrelevant organization. And it's disappointing because it seems now that Bradley Beal does not want out, and if he doesn't want out, Washington will, will likely keep him. Now, Damian Lillard is in a similar situation where – you know, Damian Lillard, I truly think, does want out of Portland. I think his situation is more he wants to be well-liked, where he just refuses to ask out because he doesn't want to be this guy who Portland's going to end up hating. And really, other than those two guys, I don't know what you do. And this is a real problem for the Sixers because, like, I don't – I'm not giving Ben Simmons up for below market value. You can't do that. Like, Daryl Morey has got to get this trade right. 
He has to. Whether you get one of those guys or you get a haul for Simmons that you can then flip for a player who can replace him that you really want. But the issue is, like, I don't know how Ben Simmons comes back here. And I don't even see it, like, there's been so much talk about, oh, well, the fans, you know, he'd go back out, he'll get booed. I honestly don't know if that would be the case. Like, Sixers fans, especially Sixers fans that go to games, are irrationally supportive. I don't know if the fan issue would be that big of a deal, but I do think it's a big deal in the locker room. And that's the problem that that I think really exists and why I just don't see a way you bring Ben Simmons back here. Because Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, I don't think we'll ever trust each other again. Like, when Embiid said what he said after Game 7, where, you know, the play turned on a dunk or a shot that we didn't take. Like, it's, he's, of course, referring to the play Simmons didn't dunk. Now, Simmons will never trust Embiid again because Embiid said that, and Embiid will never trust Simmons again because Simmons let him down in a massive spot, in a spot where uh, the Sixers needed Simmons to step up and, and, and you know, step up his game. And that's why I just don't think it's going to work. Like, I don't know what Daryl Morey does. I don't know how he finds his way out of it here. But when you have your two-star players, who I feel just are never going to trust each other again, um, it is a problem. And, like, you're not necessarily on the clock yet. There's still a lot of time between now and training camp opening. Uh, But these next couple weeks are going to be critical. And I think maybe... This week is going to be a big turning point because once you see what happens in free agency, once teams realize what's out there, like I think there are probably a lot of teams with lofty free agency expectations that'll think they can do some things this week. And once they realize they can't, maybe they pivot to doing something else. And maybe that's when the Ben Simmons market uh, kind of materializes a little more, but that market isn't there right now. And uh, a little concerning because I don't think Ben Simmons uh, can be back here next year. Uh, but coming up next, I want to let you hear Nick Sirianni. Uh, he spoke after Saturday's practice uh, a little bit, and then we'll talk about it. And we will break down the offensive line coming up in the 4 o'clock hour as well. Uh, but we'll do that next. I'm Tom Kelly with you for another couple of hours here. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, training camp now in full swing. And we'll let you hear Nick Sirianni on Saturday for, you know, one of the first times as Eagles head coach this year. Spoke to the media following uh, Eagles practice Saturday, a little evening workout for the Birds. Here was Nick Sirianni. Nick, I know it's only been three practices, but uh, what have you seen from Jalen Hurts so far? You know, yesterday at, or, yeah, yesterday at the, uh, in the red zone practice, I saw some really good great throws like big time throws he had one to dallas uh in this corner of the end zone right here in the right corner of the end zone and he also had one to uh, jason Kroom that that he made a play off of a scramble so just seeing i'm just seeing that that playmaking ability and that was great to see in that red zone day the other day so just want to continue to make you know cut out any mistakes that he's making and continue to make those plays that he's making and 
and uh, just see how special he is with the ball in his hands. Nick, are you and your offensive coaches attacking anything with his fundamentals to work on those areas of his We're game? We're always, Howard, always talking about feet and, his, and the, how his drop correlates with it. So everything we do is going to be to get his feet in sync with the play and to get his feet target line set to where he's throwing the football. That's the most important thing we can do for a quarterback's fundamentals. Again, don't mess I, I don't mess with the the quarterback up top, right? He, he's he's been throwing this way his entire life. Um, I, I don't mess with too much of that. Just about the finish really up at the top. But everything we do fundamentally is gonna be with his feet. And also ball security and keeping two hands on the pocket and the in the when he is when he is about to move that is something that we have to continue to work on because he has a tendency as he moves to keep one hand on the ball we just got to get the two hands on the football as he moves in the pocket so fundamentals at every position is critical his is no different and and we have we have a great coach in brian johnson that is uh, that's one of the main reasons he's here is because he's great with fundamentals of quarterback play the process gone with him and, and getting his getting your feedback on his feet and where they should be where is he in that progress it's it's a work it's a work in progress you're just trying to get a little bit better at that each day but again it just starts with just doing the right thing with with your drop right and then it's and then it goes just like any any fundamental you want to get better at you got to drill you got to walk it you got to drill it and then you got to carry it over to the team and it takes and it takes time exactly what we want them to do on each play and and so uh, it, it's 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 wor- the the process is going well it's just but we're we're far from where we need to be Oh man, this this offensive line just just ecstatic to be around this offensive line. Just again, you got a lot of guys that have won a lot of football games here, particularly on that on that right side with Brandon and with with Lane and with Jason in the middle. They just won, and, and Isaac for that matter. Um, so we're, you know we're waiting for Isaac and, and Brandon to get back at it uh, after a couple things that they're going through with their with their bodies, but. Yes, just very excited for the offensive line that we have. You know, you win football games because you're good on the O-line, D-line. I mean, that's that's no secret. That's the same no matter if you're playing peewee football, uh, middle school football, high school football, college football, pro football. So um, just happy with who we have there and then the depth that Howie and his, his staff have gotten here. Um, with the, with the other players Nick, behind what's them. Your, what's your level of concern with Jalen Rager failing his uh, commissioning test and not really practicing full yet? You know, we, we obviously want our, all our guys out there every single day. Um, you know, Jalen Jalen had to go through some some things that I can't even imagine going through uh, that he had to deal with, and so I know that mentally that he has to, he had to he has to get himself in a, in a spot. So I'm I'm not concerned. Um, you know, he's he's been getting himself back back ready to go. These last couple days, he's got some tightness in his body. That's why we're holding him back. Again, anytime we just believe that in practice so much that that's where you improve as a player. So anytime a player misses, of course we're 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 not going to want that. But no concern because he's he's on track to be ready, and he'll we'll get some reps today out of practice. What was your thought process behind stopping practice when you did yesterday, gathering the team? Uh, is that something you typically do? Is that something just on the spur of the moment? You know, I just wanted practice to finish uh, the way we wanted to finish. There's so many games in the NFL that come down to the last drive, right? 
And so I just wanted it to finish strong. And I felt like the defense was having a, a good day and the offense was having a below average day. And just wanted them to know that, hey, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, when we get into the fourth quarter and it's tight, you always got to play the next play and the next play and the next play. And you can't, you can't think about what's going to happen in, in two plays from now or next drive. And you sure as heck can't think about what happened the, the play before. And it was just a good example of how a season goes. There's ups and downs in the season. There's ups and downs in the game. There's ups and downs in practice. It's just about how you finish and play the next play. And I just thought that was a good opportunity to talk about that with the team. The quarterback room in general, um, you know, you have a veteran in Joe, a guy with Nick who's played some games in San Francisco. What's that relationship like behind the scenes uh, with those three players? Yeah, quarterback rooms, uh, that is one of the, the best places that are in, the, in that building, to be able to sit in a quarterback room. I sit in the quarterback room every day. Um, every every meeting, I'm I'm in there. Shane's in there. Brian's in there, and then obviously uh, Nick, Joe, and, and Jalen. And so they they we just talk through so many things, right? We talk through just why we're calling a play and um, what we wanted against and what it might not be good against. And so there's just these these conversations that go. And then Joe has all this experience. Nick has experience. Jalen has experience, and just. Hey, what is your favorite time you've ever hit this? And and I think I just seeing them connecting on, you know, being in that room together and really, really happy with that. Like I said a couple days ago, really happy with that room. I think a lot of teams in this in this league would be ecstatic to have the three types of three players that we have. You know, I think it's I think it's it's typical early in camp that the defense is head of as head of the offense in, in some situations. You know, we we keep score every day. Like really, who won this play? Who did, did it's really cut, did the defense win this play or the offense win this play? The defense win this play or the offense win this play? And so the defense has won the last couple of days, and and that's a tribute to Coach Gannon and his coaches. But it is it, but it's early. Right, it's early, and and you want that consistency to happen both sides, and so, you know, I don't put too much too much into that, especially at this time, and especially, that's kind of typical too down in the red zone, right? The the, the windows are tighter. We did I, I told you guys the other day why we started in the red zone, um, so it's just a little bit. I think a lot of the offensive coaches, offense players, are like man, that, that that was a rough first day, but you got to realize again, sometimes the defense is ahead of the offense early in early in camp, and then also at the start of red zone, they're ahead of the offense too, so it was kind of a, a double whammy there. But I love the energy the defense is bringing. Um, they're relentless to the football, and that's what we want to do. Like That relentlessness to the football makes us better getting the football out and protecting the football. And I, and I just see the hustle that, that Coach Gannon has, has installed, instilled in them, and then the players just run into the ball like they are. So credit to Coach Gannon, his staff, and the players. Nick, what, what's been the most challenging aspect of this first week for you? Um, you know, it's just it, again everything with the with a new job title. It's just the the balance of of you know all the the doing what you did to get to this spot, but then also taking on the new uh, responsibilities and being able to delegate things that you can delegate. So it's just it's just the 
again, the now that we're in training camp, so in the offseason it was how do I transition from the offensive coordinator to the head coach while still doing the things with the offense? And, you know, that's what you think about in the offseason. And then in training camp it's the same thing. How do I do it in training camp? So that I wouldn't say that that's been, I guess, the biggest challenge uh, to say is just to, to create that, to have balance, create that balance and, and trust the guys. I have so much trust in our offensive coaches. That's why they're here and, and hire them there. So I, you know, just be able to, when I need to be with a player and not in the offensive meeting, uh, be okay with not being in the offensive meeting and being with that player. Uh, you guys signed Andre Patton, the guy you had with the Chargers as a wide receivers coach, and Shane has worked with him as well. What, what do you see in him, and, and how can he help you guys? Yeah, you know, we needed we needed more legs out there with the with the wide receivers, and we had familiarity with with Andre. I, you know, I was with Andre as uh, his rookie year, and. When I was with him that year, he stayed on our practice squad, and the reason he stayed on our practice squad is because we, we had high hopes for him that he could develop into a good player. Um, because he had natural ability to bend, um, he was long, and he, he had a lot of talent. He, could catch, he, he was solid catching the football, and he had a lot of talent in that wide receiver room. And you know, it was fun when I, when I did go to Indianapolis, get to see him, wa- watch him kind of gr- continue to grow and develop and make plays in the NFL. So you know, it's hard to get guys that have made plays in the NFL they you know they aren't on a team at this particular time and he gave us an opportunity to one somebody that knew the offense and and knew what we expected out of the receiver position and two had had some experience Andre Dillard tap out of a play after he kind of got a helmet in the face and, and I think the day before there, it seemed like he was upset with himself you could see it physically um, manifest itself with the way he carried it was carrying himself what do you what do you make of how he's kind of mentally handled the early part of camp so far yeah I, I'm, I'm very pleased with how Andre's Andre's went through you know playing through some bumps and bruises that he has um, because that's and, that, and that's what he's going to have to do during the season right it's the way their bodies feel now is probably as, as good as their bodies are going to feel the in, entire year, right? Because it just the season just continues to go, and the and your bodies, you know, just continue to hurt and hurt. So I've I've been very pleased with the way Andre Andre's been uh, pushing through uh, some of the things that he's, you know, some of the bumps and bruises that he has, and and continue to press on uh, each day. How about Jordan? How do you, you, you feel about the way he's playing? You know, I think Jordan came back to in, in phenomenal shape. Uh, yeah, he had a, a target weight that he was trying to come back at, and he came back at that weight. Um, and you know, he came back lighter, he came back more fit, and it's showing out there. Um, and so, you know, just a he's just a big man that can move like a little man, right? It's, it's so, and so I'm really I'm really happy with the way that, and, and happy for Jordan that he came back the in the shape that he he did because, you know, that's that's the key, right? Going against those athletes that he's going against. On the other side, on the defensive line, he's he's gonna have to be in the best shape of his life. And I think right now he he did come back. You know, I've only known him for a short time, but uh, he he said to me, and and the strength staff have said he, he is in the best shape of his life. Uh, close quarters, Nick, and those those tight spaces. How do you think Devonte Smith has handled that the first couple of days? Devonte, I, I just uh, I give so much credit to Devonte um, and his his uh, fundamentals he's worked at his game he's worked at his craft um give so much credit to the coaches over there at alabama that 
you know, his wide receiver coach, Coach Saban, his offensive coordinator, like they, they've worked at his game and, and improving his fundamentals. And that's how a player gets better is, you know, they have, we got these guys out here that are world-class athletes. And then if you can combine athleticism with fundamentals, the sky's the limit for a lot of these guys. And that's why I see Devontae just his, his fundamentals are, are really polished for a young player. Um, you know, so a lot of credit to Devontae for working at his craft and at his game, and a lot of credit to the people who have coached him in the past. We're going to do a couple more. Putting the, uh, the, the playbook together, and then now you get to see it on the field, like these players running it. How malleable is it? Like, how much tweaking do you do based on what you see on the field versus what you have on paper? What you're going over now is your staples. Things, you know, your staple plays in those first couple installs are what you're, you really think you're going to run a lot of, right? And so it's not like we just started running these, these plays. We knew the problems that, that are, are proposed to these plays and what we got to do. So it's not so much anything that we're tweaking. It's more so like how do we get better at the details of this play? Like there's, I think there's a lot of – there, you could you could be in a, a in a situation and be like oh that looks really good and I'll run this play and then I, from this offense and I'll run this play from this offense and that play looks good from this offense no we know these are some of the pl- core value plays or the core staple plays we want to do so it's not so much tweaking those it's just we know how to coach those those fine details of that play because that when it and and get those guys really good at those fine details because at the end of the day it's how do you execute those. You know, even when the defense knows what you're going to run, how are you going to execute those plays? And the teams that execute those plays are the ones that know those fine details and play with high fundamentals. Hey, Ruth had a question over here, Coach. You gave some of the older guys day off on maintenance day yesterday. Um, how do you balance guys needing to work in a new system and a new scheme and, and, and getting that with uh, getting the time off? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, Rube. The We're – you know, we're constantly thinking about how to keep the players healthy. Again, great training staff uh, head, headed by Tom, great uh, strength and conditioning staff headed by Ted and Dr. Arsh uh, being oversight and everything. I mean, they, they, we just are always thinking about how we keep these guys healthy. And so one thing that we do is, is these guys have to, these guys that are older in the league and have had some years under their belt, we, we're, we took care of the other day. And they're on a schedule that we, we haven't scheduled out right now exactly what days we know they're going to they're gonna miss, and that was their first scheduled day. But And it was all about keeping them healthy. I'm not concerned at all about the, the, new pl- the, the plays uh, in the new system. They're in that meeting room. They're in the walkthrough. So they're getting those mental reps. Um, but I know their bodies benefited from what we did yesterday and the suggestions from uh, – our, our strength conditioning yeah. staff. Conversations like with Jason Kelsey. How do you, how do you lean on him? How is he a resource? And you must have a good Chase, Jason Kelsey story already, right? <laughs> uh, you know, you, you you bounce you bounce the things the, the pulse of the team off of him, right? Because he talks, you know, he he's close with all the guys on the team that people look up to him. He he, man, I, I just think about him and I think about these these high. Just these very smart individuals, highly intellectual individuals that I've been around in this game, football smart, and he's right up there at the top. And like, it's just it's just great to be around guys like that. And I and I would be present. I'd say Philip River. He's like in that category of Philip Rivers and and Nick Hardwick and Jason Kelsey. These guys that just I've been around that just 
they just get they know exactly what they want to do because they've seen the defense a hundred times. I'm imagining that's how Drew Brees was and and Tom Brady is because they've seen these things so many times. And so, yeah, it's just great to be around a guy like that because he really can lead your protections and your calls on the offensive line. And and so just just got so much respect for him and all that he's done in the league and what I see him doing every day out here. I just want to ask you about the left tackle competition. How's that look these first few days? Uh, how, are, how are Jordan and Andre handling that? Yeah, I mean, everybody's competing for, for a job. And uh, I think and those two guys are no different, like you said. Uh, I think they're both – I know they're both embracing it. Um, and I see them both, uh, per, uh, you know, playing at a, at a good level right now. Um, they, can, they can both be better. Uh, but I, both, I see them both playing at a good level right now. And um, – Again, they, they just they know what we're, this program stands for: connecting, uh, competing, right? Accountability, football IQ, and uh, fundamentals. And I just see them attacking that every single day. It's too early to tell with with particularly with offensive linemen um, as far as that because that position and, and this whole game is played with those pads on. So when we get those pads on, uh, it, it's going to start to shake out and it will it will it will play itself out. Last one, guys. You mentioned that Jalen Rager is obviously going through a tough personal time right now. How do you make sure you and, and the team become a support system for him? Yeah, just just being being there for him. If we're gonna if we're gonna start if we're gonna say the very first core value is connecting, and then aren't there for our players in the time of need, then we're full we're full of it. And so it's just being there for him, and and you know having the people in place in the building to to help him deal with anything that he's going through and and so you have professionals that do that right that are that can can talk to him if if need be and then you just have coaches that that care for him that are there to talk to him too so and I think you see too you see the players you you see that this is a a tight-knit group of players as well so there's a lot of guys for him to be able to talk to again professionals coaches and his teammates. And that was Nick Sirianni. And Nick Sirianni, you know, very interesting guy. Still, I think, a little a little uncomfortable maybe in front of the media. But I honestly, I think that stuff's overrated. And I think, you know, when you listen, Nick, listen to what Nick Sirianni says, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, uh, you know, I, I have hope for him as a head coach. I really do. I think he has a lot of potential. I think um, he has the opportunity to be – a good head coach in this league. And, um, you know, if he is, and, and as I've said a million times, Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni, they're both the real deal. This team, I believe, will win this division. Like, it, it, if, you know, they are an above 500 team if Sirianni and Hurts are, are are decent. And that remains to be seen, obviously. Head coach and quarterback are extremely important, and we haven't seen anything from these guys yet in game action, but um, Nick Sirianni, I thought, comes off well, and I, I liked his answer uh, about why he stopped practice. And, you know, uh, I think that's something w- that will get players' attention and get their respect that, you know, poor performance will not just be accepted. So that was Nick Sirianni from Saturday. When we get back, we're kind of looking at a different position each year, I want to lo- or each week. I want to look at the offensive line next because you heard in that press conference numerous times uh, Sirianni asked about the left tackle competition. And that is, at this point, um, I think the probably the biggest positional battle in camp. So we'll talk about the offensive line and how the left tackle competition 
could shake out. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for uh, another you know hour plus here. Um, as we lay here, Nick Sirianni in the last segment. And we're kind of trying to do this thing on the Saturday night show where each week I'm going through a different position and kind of breaking it down. We've done quarterbacks, running backs, receivers. And I wanted to talk tonight about the offensive line um, because I don't think we've talked enough about the offensive line and the strength that it could be, and I believe it should be, for this football team. I mean, you look at the positional depth that they have. You look at the players returning from injury, and, and obviously so much of it is going to be termin- determined by the health of this team. But you look at where this team is right now and where they should be strong. Offensive line should be one of the significant strengths. I mean, we'll start in the middle. Jason Kelsey, who comes back and is just solid. Like, at 33 years old, for him to still be playing at the level he's playing at is extremely impressive. And, you know, last year I think it's difficult to really you know, uh, evaluate Kelsey's performance. And and I don't think you can really blame him for many of the issues they've had considering, you know, some of the guys that were around him. But Jason Kelsey continues to be rock solid. And I'm not going to lie. I was, I was wrong about Jason Kelsey. Like, toward the end of the Chip Kelly era, after 2015, 2016, that range, like the end of Chip, beginning of Doug, I just didn't think that Jason Kelsey was, uh, you know, playing that well. I didn't think that he had a lot left in the tank. And man, do I look like an idiot because he's come back and been one of the best centers in football over the last five years. I mean, 2017, he was without a doubt the best center in the NFL. He was incredible that year. And the anchor of the offensive line. And maybe the most incredible thing about Kelsey, and hopefully I'm not jinxing him now, but the guy's never hurt. Like, for a guy to play that physical position, and never be dealing with injury. It's incredibly impressive. And um, he'll be back in the middle of that offensive line, and that is obviously something that you can take solace in and be happy about. You look at the guard position, right now, some injury issues. Brandon Brooks left practice the other day. Obviously, anytime Brandon Brooks exits, you're going to be worried, considering the injury issues he's had, considering he's coming back from the Achilles tear last year. But apparently it's just precautionary. All reports are that he's fine. And Brandon Brooks, if there's anybody you feel confident can come back from an injury, it's Brandon Brooks. Like, he is a just freak when it comes to rehabbing from these injuries. I mean, he came back from the Achilles. Remember, he suffered that Achilles injury um, in the Saints game, in the playoff game in 2018. I believe he was back for the 2019 opener. Yeah, he was back for the 2019 opener and was healthy pretty much all year until he hurt his arm in the regular season finale against the Giants. And that, unfortunately, really hurt the Eagles the following week in the playoffs against uh, Seattle. But Brandon Brooks is, when he's on the field, as good as they come. 
And if he's healthy, you should, you know, theoretically, Brandon Brooks will be a, a very quality, you know, uh, addition and and got to get back on that offensive line. One of the best guards in all football. Uh, on the other side, Isaac Sayamalu. Now, his injury that he's dealing with may be a little more significant right now. He's dealing with a hamstring issue. And, you know, it would be a significant loss. Sayamalu has really improved over the years here. Um, when you look at how he came in, kind of was potential, was the starting guard on the left side, which is where he plays now, but had started there to start the Super Bowl year and didn't play very well, gets replaced by Stefan Wisniewski. But ever since then, he's gone back in, and he's been a good player quietly over the last couple of years. Like, I don't think we talk about Sayamalu enough. Um, he's not the best guard, but he is certainly a quality guard and a reliable one, and it's noticeable when he's not on the field. Um I was just looking at the roster here. It looks like he's changed his number from 73 to 56. I don't love that change. I like I like my offensive linemen in the 70s. I'm not a huge fan of of offensive line numbers in the 50s, but so be. Um, he should, you know, he will be a quality guard when he's out on the field. Now, where I think the Eagles have really improved on the interior offensive line, though, is not just in those starting positions, but you look at the depth, and they have legitimate depth now. Whether it is Nate Herbig, who I thought played well last year, and I mean, if you've listened to me, you know the way I felt about the offensive line play. It clearly wasn't great. It was not as bad as as people made it out to be. Like, a lot of the offensive line chatter, while some of it, and obviously injuries played a role, and they were not great, a lot of it was being used as an excuse for Carson Wentz's poor play. But if you go back and watch the games, I mean, all you have to do is go back and watch. There are countless times when, you know, you look at all the sacks, and that's what people will point to. Like, he's running for his life. Look at all the sacks he took. Go back and watch the games. Like, it's pretty simple. A lot of those sacks are the byproduct of Carson Wentz just holding the ball too long. And when you have issues on your offensive line, you got to help those guys out. And Carson Wentz didn't help them out uh, very well last year. But you look at a guy like Herbig, I thought when he was in there, I thought he did a nice job. He's a quality reserve. Now, I don't know when Landon Dickerson's going to be back, but Landon Dickerson is a versatile offensive lineman, can play a number of different positions, and I think that Landon Dickerson will provide certainly a lot of depth as well. When you can use him at guard, you can use him on the outside, they're planning on training him at center as well, which makes a lot of sense to me where he can be kind of the backup to Jason Kelsey, if anything were to happen to Kelsey. Um, but it's a it's an area of strength where you have guys like that who you can slot in if need be on the offensive line. Now you move out to the tackle position. We don't need to talk a lot about Lane Johnson. I mean, Lane Johnson, we all know what he is. He's one of the best left, uh, right tackles in football. He's been one of the best tackles in football for a long time. And... If you're talking about what was the best thing to come out of the Chip Kelly era, in my mind, it was the 2013 draft, the first two picks of the 2013 draft, and it was Lane Johnson and Zach Ertz. And, you know, I, and you can call me a hater if you want, but um, I don't really attribute those to Chip. That was still Howie running the draft at that time. 
Um, and the Eagles kind of lucked into it in a way because Chip wanted uh, Deion Jordan with that first pick if he fell. But sometimes you got to get a little get a little luck, you know, involved in your situation. Um, Lane Johnson was the third tackle drafted that year. He was not the top prospect. Remember, Luke Jokel, Eric Fisher, both went before Lane Johnson. He's the guy left at four, and he ends up being by far the best of the bunch there. So Lane Johnson's great on that side. The real story of camp here, as far as positional battle goes, is you look over at the left tackle spot. And it's going to be between Andre Dillard and Jordan Mulata. And I think the way this shakes out is going to tell you a lot about the Eagles' organizational thinking and, you know, whether things have really changed. Because I am a Howie Roseman guy, as you know, but if there is a legit criticism of Howie Roseman, I do think it is sticking with guys you've drafted too long and giving them more opportunities than they deserve. Now, this is not a problem unique to the Eagles. Most organizations will do that, and they would rather their top picks be on the field. Yet, Jordan Mulata played very well last year. Andre Dillard, first year, got limited action, did not look very good. Um, Last year, you know, there are questions about his mindset in training camp. Uh, You know, had an altercation with Derek Barnett during camp where he got a little emotional, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing, um, but then ends up getting injured, misses the entire season. And, you know, it's kind of difficult to to evaluate Andre Dillard here. Now, Dillard and Mulata are battling for that left tackle job. All indications so far are that Mulata is ahead and Mulata has been the better player. And, you know, if if Andre Dillard wins the job on merit, that's fine. But it's not going to be a good look. If, if, you know, all the reports coming out are that Mulata has been the better player on the field and Andre Dillard gets the starting job. Now, I don't think that's the way it'll play out. I think, and it also would not play out well because if Nick Sirianni's whole thing is going to be competition and then your players see you starting a guy who clearly hasn't been as good, that's going to be, you know, something that's not going to go over well and will immediately make Nick Sirianni look for look like a, uh, a fraud, for lack of a better word, to be honest with you. So... You got to start the best guy on merit here. I think it's going to be Jordan Mulata. I What Jordan Mulata did last year, I thought was incredibly impressive. For a guy who has very limited action in the NFL, to play as well as he did, I thought was really encouraging. I mean, the size is there. Everything that you need is there as far as a starting left tackle in this league. And we'll see how it all plays out in camp. But I think Jordan Mulata will win this job, and I'm fine with Andre Dillard being a backup. Like, obviously, it's not what you want as your first-round pick, but sometimes in the NFL, you know, you just you, you get a gem late. Like, Jason Kelsey was a sixth-round pick. Jordan Mulata was a seventh-round pick. Like, that's still a feather in your cap if you're Howie Roseman and the Eagles development staff that you were able to get the most out of this kid. And this plan uh, of developing him slowly over time has worked out. And then you'd have Dillard as a backup— Driscoll, I thought when he was in, he dealt with a lot of injury issues last year, but when he was in there, um, you know, I thought he played well. And then you also have Matt Pryor, 
you know, Matt Pryor, I'm not crazy about, but that shows you how much they've improved their depth here. Because last year, Matt Pryor was basically the first offensive lineman off the bench in any position. Now, he's probably your, what, fifth tackle? And your fourth guard? Like, he might not even make this roster. And that shows what a strength this is. And when the Eagles were at their best, and when they've been at their best, really, over the last 20 years, and... They have been a very good organization over the last 20 years. It's when they have strong offensive lines. Whether it was the run with Andy in the early 2000s, whether it was the 2017 year when they had the best offensive line in football. That is when they are at their best. And that would be a huge help to a kid like Jalen Hurts to have an offensive line that can play at that kind of high level. And I'm looking forward to seeing them play this year. I don't think... You know, they were as bad as many thought last year. And I think a lot of the guys that played last year, Herbig, Driscoll, you know, I think that experience, Milata as well, will help them much more this year. And I think the offensive line is definitely a major strength of this team. So that's our offensive line breakdown. Next up, I'm going to let you hear Dave Dombrowski's press conference from uh, Friday after the trade deadline. He addressed a number of different things as far as what the Phillies did and what the Phillies did not do and why. So we'll get to that up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. And in this uh, final segment here of this hour, I wanted to let you hear Dave Dombrowski's press conference because uh, obviously we talked a lot about it tonight. I don't like what the Phillies did. I think you're... Better on paper, but you solved none of your problems. And now with the whole Ranger Suarez thing, you're just creating another problem. I mean, you didn't solve anything. You just took, uh, you know, one problem. Um, you're maybe, so, and I don't even know if you're solving the starting rotation problem. You're really not. Um, but you might be making the starting pitching problem a little less severe. But you're causing another significant issue in your bullpen. And it makes no sense the way the Phillies have operated and continues just to be pretty on brand with the way they operate in his organization. But I wanted to let you hear Dave Nebrowski's side of things, uh, let you listen to his press conference as he answers questions about the trade deadline, and then we will come back and talk about some of it. But here was Dave Nebrowski with his press conference following Friday's 4 p.m. trade deadline. Hey, Dave. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Um, I guess just kind of what's your – how do you kind of look at this day? You, you obviously you needed pitching. You got some pitching. Um, you needed to improve your defense. You kind of did that a little bit. What's your overall just take on on what you did? Well, we were very happy. I mean, you know, with what we accomplished, we think we made ourselves better. Now, uh, we think we also are in a position where for next year we have another starting pitcher that we are in our rotation, which is helpful. Um, you know, we we traded some young arms, but we also got a couple of young arms back today. Not only with this deal, but to the Pirates deal. We like Ogle's arm a great deal. And part of the key for us, if we were going to trade a guy like Spencer Howard, we wanted to get an arm back and we like Hans Cross a lot, a lot actually. So we think he's very good, a very quality prospect. So we're really happy with what took place. We think it gives us a chance to win, a little better chance to win based upon what we did. And of course we got to take care of it on the field, but uh, you know, it gives us that uh, three established starting pitchers now we're still hopeful Eflin will be back and think he will be relatively soon. And we'll have to piecemeal, hopefully, Vince steps up and uh, 
you know, helps us out in that regard. I'm not sure what we're going to do um, at this point in the fifth spot. Um, that'll be up to Joe. I'm not sure who's going to get that other start at this point, but uh, we think we're better. How do you see Freddie working in? Could he play short and did he move to third? Well, the way, you know, Freddie, is, as you probably know, is not ready to play right now. Right. Coming off of that, so the quad. So he'll be ready around the 10, 15. You know, what we decided, there's a couple factors here. One is that um, he's a good player. He can play a, a bunch of different positions. Uh, we can see how things continue to progress. Um, Didi is a good player. He has been up and down this year. Um, it gives us another alternative in addition to who we already have on our roster. If somebody else plays shortstop, that alternative is there. And uh, again, the one thing good about Freddie is that he can play a bunch of different positions. So we don't have to make any declarations. We can let that all play out. We know Didi's a better player than he's been playing so far. And I think he'll step up and do so for us. But the other thing is too, and I think for us, which really protect us, if you have a chance in this case to try to compete, um, after today, you can't acquire anybody else from outside your organization. So that was part of the reason there too, because if you don't make the move and you have an injury at various different positions, we have some people within our organization, but this gives us another established major league player that's got some veteran status that we think can help us in a in number of roles. Thanks, Dave. Sure. Let's go to Matt Gelb and then Jim Salisbury. Uh, hey, Dave. I'm wondering, uh, it, it appears in both trades you guys got money back uh, and, and gave up perhaps maybe a, a greater prospect package uh, to get those financial savings. Why was that the path you guys chose? Well, uh, what was about the prospect? I didn't catch the prospect package part of it. It, it. it appears, I mean, you guys saved some money in exchange for possibly giving up a better prospect package. Why was that the route you guys took? Well, for that, not necessarily was the case. Um, all along, um, these were the type names even before the finances were involved. So we weren't looking to cut back and, and add, I mean, we like the guys we gave, but we also thought we got quality return um, for us. And we think that, for example, for us, maybe um, you talk about the strength of the organization. We have a lot of those, a lot of arms we were asked about that we didn't even trade, um, didn't even come close to trading. So we think it's a depth perspective from us. And, um, you know, anytime you can try to save some dollars, you try to do that. So that was really the case. Jim? Dave, are you uh, under the tax? Uh, we are, uh, per my calculation. And when you ask that, I mean, I, I did not have any, um, and so I did not have any mandate to stay under the CBT. That was not a mandate. Ownership was very open to that regard. However, they're really, I've been through this before. The reason they call it a tax um, is it's punitive. So you try to save yourself some punitive damages by staying below the CBT as you can normally most clubs do. It's not only this, but loss of potential of money to sign international free agents, all that. So really it's a goal to stay below that. We did not give up. We, we never were in a position where we said, well, we'll give you more if you pick up more salary. That was really, it was always part of, Hey, this is where we are. This is what we're looking to do, but sure where we, it was a drive, but by no means was it a mandate to stay. Ownership was very open to that. I might have got on here 60 seconds late. Did you talk about the role 
that Ian Kennedy, um, uh, Ian Kennedy will fill? Well, I know he's going to pitch in the back end, but I'm going to have to let Joe answer that question because I've always figured that that the manager makes that decision. Great. He's going to pick in the back end of the bullpen somewhere, but I'll let Joe answer that. Do you think there was any impropriety between Pittsburgh and Seattle the other day? I do not. Uh, I do not. And I'll even tell you that uh, I've known Ben Sherrington for a long time, and I saw some speculations of things. Um, it's never easy when you replace somebody in a job, but we offered Ben an opportunity to stay with us. Um, we, we talked about it. He called me the other day. Yeah, the days kind of fly by here, I think yesterday, just to kind of explain his situation and what took place. And, um, and I understood it. Um, so no, I don't think there was any, but really what had taken place is he explained without getting into full detail. They had the ability to make a couple of deals that were basically right there. And they chose ours. And then when they had the difficulty with the medical with one of the players, um, they decided that I mean, they exchanged some names with us that would replace them. We thought they were a little bit high um, as far as the value was concerned. And rather than lose the opportunity to move them somewhere else, um, we just, they decided to make that move. So that was the right to do so. But no, I don't think there was any improprieties in that regard. Thank you. Sure. Scott. Dave, um, I know that you guys are uh, remain optimistic that Zach Eflin won't miss a ton of time here, but he's missed probably a little bit more than, than maybe you initially thought. Um, did that increase your kind, your, your focus on adding a starting pitcher here today? Uh, well, I think the, I do still remain optimistic that he's going to come back. I do that, but I think we needed to get a starting pitcher. Um, to help us. Now, I'm hopeful that Zach comes back because otherwise he just replaces Zach, right? But I, I'm hopeful in, within two to three weeks, um, he'll be, Zach will be back and all of a sudden we can be running four established starting pitchers out there that are successful, that have been successful at the big league level and then fill in on that fifth spot. And as you notice, I'm sure looking at our schedule that coming up, you know, 10 days from now or so that Monday, the Mondays are off for an extended period. So you can kind of play with that. But I think it was important. I think it was really, for me, I think it was really important if we're going to compete to try to win our division. If you're only throwing two established starters out there, that, that, that makes it really tough. I think you can piecemeal a lot of things together. Or actually, our bullpen's pitched pretty well lately. When we're ahead, we, we really are in a good spot in that regard. But if you're trying to piecemeal three spots together, that's really hard. So I think having three established guys and hopefully a fourth one very quickly. And, you know, Vinny's just, you know, he's a veteran status. Hopefully he'll step up and pitch a little better for us on a consistent basis. And I guess, did you, did you just get to a point where you felt like Spencer, uh, you know, wouldn't be able to help you in the, in the rotation the way you wanted this year or, um, you know, the decision to kind of um, move on from him in this deal? Well, very difficult decision. We like Spencer. Um, and I think he has a chance to have a real nice big league career. Um, there are a couple of factors. One, he's not established. And, and really for us this year, I mean, if you were telling me we were going to get four to five innings out of him the rest of the year on a consistent basis on his starts, I'd be thrilled, would have been thrilled. With us to try to win, I don't think that's really enough right now from that spot, one more spot like that. Um, I don't know that he's... And maybe he will. Maybe he will do more than that, um, that he goes out there. He's got a lot of focus and attention on him when he's pitching here at this time. But we like him. 
But I do think, for example, when we talked to Texas and his name was out there and his name comes up all the time when you're talking to clubs, he's one of those. Um, it was really important if, if we were going to talk about him, we wanted to get another young pitcher in return that we liked a great deal. And um, we would not have made the trade of trading the caliber of player unless we got Kraus back in the deal. And you look at Kraus's numbers and, and his pedigree. I mean, he, he he's a good pitcher. He's a good prospect. A little bit further away, he could end up pitching in AAA by the end of the year. I mean, so that that potential exists. But that's really the start. We, we liked him. We just think with what we were trying to do, we we're willing to give up the potential there, replacing it with Kraus the closeness to the big leagues, but we thought if we're going to try to win this year, we just need a chance to have a more established guy go out there with consistent innings. Thank you. Ruben. Hi, David. Hey, uh, Ruben. Congratulations on your moves. I know how difficult they are to make. Um, I just wanted to uh, ask, and it's been, maybe somebody's already asked it, but um, was there any, is there any consideration about moving Ranger Suarez into the rotation to keep him in his role in the back end? That is a great question. Um, that is one where we have talked about it ourselves at times. I've talked with it with Sam and with Joe and with Caleb. We've never come up with a definitive answer on that. And with as much going on, of course, we didn't know if we were going to make the trade until four o'clock. Um, I haven't even talked to Joe about that afterwards. I don't know which way he is going to choose to want to go with that once he looks at his staff. Um, is it a potential? Perhaps. But the one thing we talked about, if we if we would do that, and I'm not saying we would, if we do it, we'd want to keep them consistently in the starting rotation for the rest of the year, not keep floating them back, start a reliever, start a reliever. So what he needs to do is kind of sit down, look at how his pen now looks with getting Kennedy here um, and the other guys that we have and look at which way he decides he wants to go with the best way of making up. And so I don't mean to, to play Koana, but that would really be a, a question that will come up for Joe more so. And I'm not sure that he has an answer because we hit him with this. We, of course, made the we had to talk, had to, talk to Spencer because we're here still in Philly and he's he's in Pittsburgh. He talked to Spencer for us. We had the Kinsler moves to make and then hopefully we can win a ball game tonight. Thanks, David. You're welcome. All right, guys, we have time for a few more. Let's go back to Todd and then Matt. Dave, I, I, you made the trade, um, but I was just curious. Kyle Gibson was really strong. His first 16, I think, his last three really struggled. Just wondering what you made out of that and if that gave you any pause. I guess it didn't, but, you know, uh, any, anything to that? Well, we looked at it. Um, really, there hasn't been much of a fall off in his stuff, which was the encouraging part of it. You know, sometimes guys just have some down outing, bad outings. His last three outings haven't been quite as good, but his stuff was still as good. The movement was still as good on stuff. So um, just kind of chalking it up to having some bad outings at this particular time. He walked guys the last time, a lot of guys, and that's very uncharacteristic for him. So um, just think a couple bad outings. And you, you said um, you, know, you can't, can't get anybody from outside the organization after today. Um, free agents, there's a free agent out there, um, Cole Hamels. You talked about him last week. He said maybe we could revisit five or six days. Just curious if you have any more thoughts on that. Um, it's a topic that we still need to revisit, actually, um, because, again, we just did all these type of things. We like Cole. Um, there's a lot of things we like about him. Um, but now we need to sit down. Actually, after we're done here, we're going to try to revisit the conversation ourselves and see where it takes us. Thanks, Dave. Sure. Yo. Dave, had the trade with Pittsburgh gone through, would you have acquired Gibson or another starter today still? 
It's a pit. Uh, I can't, you know what? I can't even answer that question, but probably, probably. But I can't, I have to think more thoroughly about that one. Um, if the one with Pittsburgh, yeah, we, we would have been, I guess we'd have been open to it. And do you think Howard not being in a set role this year, uh, how much do you think that affected your evaluation of him and his performance? Well, I, I think the guy's been in, I've, we've said this all, I think he's been in a tough spot in his development situation here in the organization for an extended time. Um, when you look back, I mean, he, he's had some injuries. Um, he had the COVID situation down year uh, last year. He had some issues in spring training of delaying him a little bit. Watching his innings this year, moving him back and forth. I, I, I mean, it was a tough situation for him. I, we were doing the best job we could to handle it for him and handle it for us. Um, could it affect, perhaps, I think probably the best thing and really what he was doing now and he had done the last couple of times at the minor league level was to get the ball and go start. And um, he's going to get that. Well, I can't speak what he's going to, they're going to do with him. I assume they're going to give him that. I wish that opportunity would have come up here. It just really, the few, we, we gave him the opportunity, but it seems like something happened whenever we would give him that opportunity. Um, through really no fault of his own. If it's a blister or there's something else, he runs out of gas. So it really is one of those that we've um, we tried to do. Um, hopefully it works out for him. He's a good good talent and a good person. Um, I'm sure it didn't help him. The roles that and, he's had to play. And Krause will go to double A? Yes, we're going to start him at double A to start off. Thank you. You're welcome. Rob, we'll finish with you. Just to follow up on, uh, on Krause a little bit. Um, Dave, I'm not going to pretend like I've actually seen him in a game, but watching some of his clips, he a seems like uh, a very interesting character personality wise. And then B uh, has a shimmy when he pitches sometimes. Uh, have you seen this? <laughs> well, I've seen some video of him, quite a bit of video, actually. So he he's I guess the way that he was described in our, our draft room is that he was a second round draft choice. So he's been a high profile guy all along and he's put up good numbers. They said, he's a very interesting individual, Dave. And I said, well, can you please describe that further for me? He says, well, kind of a little bit of Mark Fitterich type on the mound. He talks to the ball at times and does some things. And uh, I said, well, Fitterich was pretty good. Um, so, um, but he is an unusual character, but he's a good pitcher. He's got good stuff. And if I could just real quick follow up on Ruben's question. Um, I know you haven't had a chance to talk to Joe yet about what to do with Ranger. Have you had conversations with Ranger about how he would feel about moving into the starting rotation? If that's something you might decide. We have not asked him that question yet. Cause we usually would wait off this. Cause I don't even know he's going to do it. So I really want him focused on the job that he's doing at the particular time. But Ranger has all along told us that he would do whatever we wanted him to do. Um, and this year, and they tell me in the past, he's a very, he feels he can do both. So, but we have not approached him about that at this point. I, I would be really surprised if we went to him and said, we'd like you to start, that he would say no, but it has not been a topic. And again, I don't even know if we're going to do it. And that was Dave Dombrowski's press conference following the Phillies completing their trades for Ian Kennedy, Kyle Gibson, and Hans Kraus in the one deal. Don't want to forget about Hans, who is now the Phillies' number four-ranked prospect. How about that? Comes over from Texas. 
He was the number 19-ranked prospect in the Texas Rangers farm system. Now he's fourth in the Phillies farm system. That's pretty illuminating when you look at what that means and, and how truly terrible this minor league system for the Phils is right now. Uh, but also the deal for Freddie Galvis. Uh, Dabrowski talked about a lot of that stuff. When we get back, we will talk about it a little more and go through a few of Dave Dombrowski's answers, which uh, troubled me, uh, certainly. So we'll do that next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for another hour here. The next couple segments let you hear my hour. Well, a couple segments. It was kind of an abbreviated version of riding with the king, Howard Eskin, on Thursday night. We got pushed back because of the doubleheader. I mean, it was crazy. Game two. It, um, John, poor John Marks, by the way. Uh, sitting here basically all day waiting to go on for the final out. And then it gets to like 545 and... Uh, you know, we mutually agreed. I'll just take care of it. I mean, there was no point for John to stay around just to do the final out after six o'clock. But I do appreciate him hanging around all day um, while, you know, not ending up going on the air. So uh, I end up getting on for the final out around 645. Normally riding with the king is from six to seven. But Howard stayed around. He, you know, he's he's got the nice little setup um, from his house. So he was able to join me at 715 and stick with me through 8 o'clock. So we'll let you hear uh, my few segments with Howard from Thursday night coming up. But in the last segment, uh, I'll let you hear a little bit from Dave Dombrowski. That was his press conference following the MLB trade deadline. And there were a few things in there that, that bothered me. Now, as we've talked about most of the night here, I just don't think this was a good deadline for the Phillies. I think it was the worst kind of solution possible where they needed to choose a direction and they didn't choose a direction. Like even though it would have been wildly unpopular for them to sell, it would have been wildly unpopular for them to kind of blow this thing up while they're three and a half back. And uh, I don't think that's necessarily what they should have done either. I would have at least respected that they made a decision with the long term in mind and they they added direction. That they had a, a goal of where they want to get to. But if you were going to buy, you had to legitimately buy and you had to go in and you had to try to make this team better. These kind of band-aid moves, which they have been doing for years, were clearly not going to work out well. And we're already seeing it so far uh, in these couple games in Pittsburgh where if you're not really going to address your problems... What are you really what are you really doing here? You know, what are you really solving by going out and trying to put band-aids on your issues? And you're solving nothing. And uh some of the things Dave Dombrowski said bothered me on Friday. And we'll play, you know, just some of the cuts that I especially was bothered by real quick and kind of recap the things he talked about. But first off, here was Dave Dombrowski specifically on the Texas trade in which the Phillies got Ian Kennedy and Kyle Gibson uh, in exchange essentially for, for Spencer, Spencer Howard. Well, we're very happy. I mean, you know, with what we accomplished, we think we made ourselves better now. Uh, we think we also are in a position where for next year, we have another starting pitcher that we are in our rotation, which is helpful. Um, you know, we, we traded some young arms, but we also got a couple of young arms back today, not only with this deal, but uh, the Pirates deal. We like Ogle's arm a great deal, and 
part of the key for us, if we were going to trade a guy like Spencer Howard, we wanted to get an arm back, and we like Hans Cross a lot, deep, a lot actually. So we think he's very good, a very quality prospect. So we're really happy with what took place. We think it gives us a chance to win, a little better chance to win based upon what we did. And, of course, we got to take care of it on the field. But uh, you know, it gives us that uh, three established starting pitchers now. We're still hopeful Eflin will be back and think he will be relatively soon. And we'll have to piecemeal. Hopefully, Vince steps up and uh, helps us out in that regard. I'm not sure what we're going to do um, at this point in the fifth spot. Um, that'll be up to Joe. I'm not sure who's going to get that other start at this point. But uh, we think we're better. Now, uh, the problem with that is, is sure you're you're better. Like you added some players who were better the one than the ones that you had. So, okay, I guess you can kind of make that argument that you're better. But what problems did you actually solve? You are still short in the rotation. You're essentially taking because you know uh, the question was later asked about Ranger Suarez whether he'd move in the starting rotation. Dabrowski says, "I don't know. That's Joe's decision." Well, that's what the Phillies are doing. And you're taking from a position of strength, making it a position of weakness, and you're still short a starter in the starting rotation at least, and you're short in the bullpen. So while you might be better on on your roster, you didn't solve your problems, and that's what the trade deadline is about. You know, it's great to go add useful players, the trade deadline is about solving problems and plugging holes. And the Phillies didn't plug any of their holes. And a lot of this does relate to Zach Eflin and his injury right now. And obviously that creates another gaping hole within the starting rotation. Here's more from Dave Dombrowski on uh, the Phillies' problems in filling out that rotation in the absence of Eflin. Uh, well, I think the I do still remain optimistic that he's going to come back. I do that. But I think we needed to get a starting pitcher um, to help us. Now, I'm hopeful that Zach comes back because otherwise he just replaces Zach, right? But I, I'm hopeful in, within two to three weeks, um, he'll be Zach will be back, and all of a sudden we can be running four established starting pitchers out there that are successful, that have been successful at the big league level, and then fill in on that fifth spot. And as you notice, I'm sure looking at our schedule that coming up, you know, 10 days from now or so that Monday, the Mondays are off for an extended period. So you can kind of play with that. But I think it was important. I think it was really, for me, I think it was really important if we're going to compete to try to win our division. If you're only throwing two established starters out there, that, that, that makes it really tough. I think it can piecemeal a lot of things together. Or actually our bullpens pitch pretty well lately when we're ahead. We, we really are in a good spot in that regard. But if you're trying to piecemeal three spots together, that's really hard. So I think having three established guys and hopefully a fourth one very quickly. And, you know, Vinny's just, you know, he's a veteran status. Hopefully he'll step up and pitch a little better for us on a consistent basis. I mean, first off, that does not sound good to me as far as Zach Eflin is concerned. Like Dabrowski is talking, you know, when he says things like I'm hopeful he'll come back, like come back at all. Like, yeah, I mean, you need him to come back. He's talking two, three weeks at a minimum I mean, at this point, I'd be surprised if we see Zach Eflin before September, before the last week of August. And, like, Dave Dombrowski's basically boasting about, okay, well, we have three legitimate starters, you know, we can fill in the fourth and fifth. No, like, and he says, yeah, it's hard to go out and compete when you're throwing out two competitive, two legitimate starters. It's hard to compete when you're throwing out three legitimate starters. 
it's hard to compete when you're throwing out four legitimate starters. Like, you need at least five guys, you could like four guys you can legitimately count on. And if you want to roll the dice with a fifth guy, I get that. A lot of teams are in that position. You got to do that. And maybe at this point in the season when you have off days, you can shorten that rotation. But going three deep is not giving you a chance. And that is why you needed desperately to acquire another starting pitcher. And just getting Kyle Gibson is not enough. It's not enough. And I just, I don't understand the viewpoint of this organization and why they would think this would be satisfactory to go out and compete. And again, if you want to be aggressive, fine. I came to that understanding and a reckoning with that about two weeks ago when it's clear the Mets aren't running away with this thing and the Phillies have a legit shot in this this division. And while I don't love the long-term prospects for this team, and I'm not talking about the prospects in the minor leagues, I'm talking about just like the prospects of everything with the organization, fine. Go try to win the division because you have an opportunity. But don't dip your toe in the water and and stop short of solving your problems. And it's just infuriating when you hear these things and, you know, Dave Dombrowski's talking like they accomplished something when all your problems are still there. And he talked about all the bullpens been pitching well late in games. Well, great. Now you got to move your best bullpen guy into the starting rotation. And now Jose Alvarado is your most reliable left-hander in the bullpen. So you think your bullpen's going to have the same success? Of course not. And it just, it's so frustrating frustrating to me. And a lot of, of what has happened here, and, you know, it looked like it wasn't that big a deal at the time. You know, they'll go get somebody else. But now, like, the Tyler Anderson thing looks pretty significant here. You know, the fact that you were not able to get that deal done, because if you would, ju- like, and that's the thing. I'm not calling on the Phillies to make another huge move. They just needed to pick up another starter who was somewhat adequate. And Tyler Anderson would have been a significant addition in that regard. Like, he would have legitimately helped, and that trade falling through really does end up mattering now. And here is Dombrowski on what happened and whether he feels like there are any improprieties improprieties going on considering his previous relationship with Ben Sherrington. Now, real quick before I play the cut, I'll give you some context. Dave Dombrowski replaced Ben Sherrington in Boston. Ben Sherrington had replaced Theo Epstein when Epstein went to the Cubs. Uh, Sherrington was then later replaced by Dave Dombrowski. And there were some rumors floating about that maybe Pittsburgh had intentionally kind of sandbagged the Phillies here for Sherrington to get back in some sort of fashion on Dave Dombrowski. Here's Dave Dombrowski on uh, what happened with that deal, whether he felt anything weird went down. Do you think there was any impropriety between Pittsburgh and Seattle the other day? I do not. Uh, I do not. And I'll even tell you that uh, I've known Ben Sherrington for a long time, and I saw some speculations of things. Um, It's never easy when you replace somebody in a job, but we offered Ben an opportunity to stay with us. Um, we, we talked about, he called me the other day. Yeah. The days kind of fly by here. I think yesterday, just to kind of explain his situation and what took place. 
and um, and I understood it. Um, so no, I don't think there was any. But really, what had taken place, as he explained, without getting into full detail, they had the ability to make a couple of deals that were basically right there, and they chose ours. And then when they had the difficulty with the medical with one of the players, um, they decided that. I mean, they exchanged some names with us that would replace them. We thought they were a little bit high um, as far as the value was concerned. And rather than lose the opportunity to move them somewhere else, um, we just, they decided to make that move. So that was the right to do so. But no, I don't think there was any improprieties in that regard. Now think about that. And what strikes me most about that comment and what's so troubling is that we know the Phillies farm system is bad. Like we have known that for quite some time, that they do not have a good minor league system they do not have prospects that are highly regarded. But this deadline makes it even more glaring. Because, like, Pittsburgh comes back. And and typically, and I think everybody pretty much expected, when there were rumors about, oh, there's a snag in the Phillies-Pirates deal for Tyler Anderson. Like, okay, well, they'll figure out some way to get it done. Because that normally happens. Very rarely do you see it's reported like the deal is done. And then there becomes an issue with the medicals. And it totally falls apart. You very rarely have that scenario play out. Normally there's a snag. One of the guys gets replaced with somebody else. And everything moves forward. Now, what does it tell you? That the Phillies had nobody else of a similar value to the player that they originally had in the deal. That Pittsburgh wanted. That they wanted a completely different tier of player. Because the Phillies have nobody in a similar situation that they could just slot in there. And it's telling, like, when you talk about the Hans Kraus situation, the prospect they get from Texas, where he's a 19th-ranked prospect in the Rangers system. And then he comes over to Philadelphia, and he's the fourth-ranked prospect in the Philly system. It's ridiculous that there's nobody else that they could put in, and so, so troubling. And when you are in this kind of situation with prospects, you need to find some other sort of incentive to entice teams to make a deal. And this, to me, is what's most maddening about this deadline. Because leading up to to the deadline, we heard Dombrowski say it early last week. We saw, I forget who exactly reported, it may have been Heyman, may have been Jason Stark, I forget exactly who it was. But the reporting was, and the Phillies, there's no doubt, they leaked to get this out there, because they want this out there, is... Money will not be an issue. Like, luxury tax will not be an issue. The Phillies' finances are not a problem here. Like, they will they will do what's necessary from a financial standpoint to make the deals they need to make. Well, they got $4 million back in that Texas deal. You know why? Because they wanted to stay under the luxury tax. And here was Dave Dombrowski addressing whether the Phillies are under the luxury tax after making these trades at deadline. Dave, are you uh, under the tax? Uh, we are, uh, per my calculation. And when you ask that, I mean, I, I did not have any, um, and so I did not have any mandate to stay under the CBT. That was not a mandate. Ownership was very open to that regard. However, they're really, I've been through this before. The reason they call it a tax um, is it's punitive. So you try to save yourself some punitive damages by staying below the CBT as you can normally most clubs do. It's not only this, but loss of 
potential uh, money to sign international free agents, all that. So really, it's a goal to stay below that. We did not give up. We, we never were in a position where we said, well, we'll give you more if you pick up more salary. That was really, it was always part of, hey, this is where we are. This is what we're looking to do. But sure, we're, we it was a drive, but by no means was it a mandate to stay. Ownership was very open to that. Now, Dave Dombrowski is a smart guy, and he knows why that question's being asked. But is it not interesting at all that he immediately, without being asked the question exactly, says, oh, I had no mandate to stay under the tax. Like, I, I that, that was not an issue. Like, when it clearly was. And it's insulting for them to think that we don't see that it was clearly a factor here. And it's why John Middleton, and I... I not going to lie, I, I let Middleton fool me uh, over the last, you know, year or so. Like, I have been anti-John Middleton for a long time, but, you know, he has spent money, and I I have kind of, you know, come around to thinking he, he wants to win. He just doesn't really know how to win. And maybe, and I do think he wants to win, but he doesn't want to bad. He does not want to win as badly as he says he wants to win. Like, there's no doubt about that. If you want that damn trophy back and all that nonsense that he says, then you go over a luxury tax for a team that's three and a half games out in the division. Like, and he said he wouldn't do it for the second wild card. Fine, you're going for the division in an extremely winnable division, and he won't do it because he doesn't really care that much. And it's just insulting as a fan for them to think we will buy this crap when it's obvious that, like, it's a factor. Like, it's clear that they could have gone over the tax and gotten an additional starter. And that's the problem. This is why I have no sympathy for the Phillies here. Because when you don't have prospects, and when John Middleton, it all goes back to 2019 and that offseason. Because when he decided you want to go out, spend all the money, you're changing your direction as a franchise. And to make trades to add pieces when you don't have a farm system, you need to give teams financial obligations. They could have gone out and thrown money at a team and and, and less prospects and gotten a starting pitcher if they're willing to go over to the tax, but they're not, and they don't want to. And it, it, there's no way for them to get better, and this is the problem. Like When you don't have prospects, unless they're going to go over the tax, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. They're going to be the same mediocre average team that they've been for the last four years. And we're the ones who are going to have to deal with it. And now, you know, I don't know what they do. They'll probably go outside, call Hamels. And at this point, fine. I mean, it, it, there's really, it's probably your best option. But um, you could have gone out and gotten a starter. But you're unwilling to go over the tax and you don't have prospects. And it's been the whole problem with this organization the whole time. That is a terrible combination. Terrible. And there's really no easy way out of it here. Here's one more from Dombrowski uh, talking about the role Freddie Galvis will play as he was acquired as well at the deadline for Baltimore. Well, the way, you know, Freddie, as, as you probably know, is not ready to play right now. Right. He's coming off of that, so the quad. So he'll be ready around the 10, 15. You know, what we decided, there's a couple factors here. One is that um, he's a good player. He can play a, a bunch of different positions. Uh, we can see how things continue to progress. Um, Didi is a good player. He has been up and down this year. 
Um, it gives us another alternative in addition to who we already have on our roster. If somebody else plays shortstop, that alternative is there. And uh, again, the one thing good about Freddie is that he can play a bunch of different positions. So we don't have to make any declarations. We can let that all play out. We know Didi's a better player than he's been playing so far. And I think he'll step up and do so for us. But the other thing is, too, and I think for us, which really protect us, if you have a chance in this case to try to compete, um, after today, you can't acquire anybody else from outside your organization. So that was part of the reason there, too, because if you don't make the move and you have an injury at various different positions, we have some people within our organization, but this gives us another established major league player that's got some veteran status that we think can help us in a in number of roles. And, you know, like, I would like to see Freddie Galvis play more, but, and he talks about it there, like, they're going to keep playing Didi, and, and that goes back to the money thing as well. Like, when you give out bad contracts and you have $14 million committed to Didi Gregorius this year and next year, he's going to keep playing, and the Phillies will keep making these decisions because of money, and it'll continue to hurt the team, and it's it's unfortunate. Um, because you look at Merritt right now, uh, Freddie Gallus probably should play more than Didi. Um, Didi Gregorius is killing this team, but you know the reason he won't commit to that is because they're going to keep running out him out there because of what they're paying him, and it could very well cost him the division. But I didn't like a lot of what I heard from Dave Dombrowski um, on Friday afternoon, but that was his press conference in the last segment and going through some of it there. Not not a lot of good and and a frustrating deadline, if you ask me, from the Phillies' perspective. Uh, next up, I'll let you hear my uh, couple segments with Howard Eskin from the other night. Uh, we got into a lot of Phillies stuff and Eagles and, and Sixers, of course. It was the night of the draft. So uh, plenty of stuff Howard and I discussed. Let you hear those coming up, those segments coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, and we are riding with the king. Howard Eskin, sponsored by Xfinity, Philadelphia's fastest internet, and sponsor of our Xfinity X1 Lounge. Howard, thanks for hanging around for uh, uh, joining me a little later tonight. Boy, the Phillies did take enough time to get that thing over with, didn't they? They really did. That that second game extended much longer than any of us believed it would. (laughs) I know it's just—it's exciting you know, like, stuff, though, Howard. They're back in. They're buying. No, stop. <laughs> you know, you don't want to get into that. They committed four errors today, so they won the game, and that's exciting for everybody. They theoretically are in the race, but not realistically. And Larry Anderson usually speaks the truth, and I love Larry, but he says, "I love the term." Anything can happen if you get into the playoffs. Why not? Yeah, the cow can jump over the moon. Uh, you know, anything can happen. Uh, they're just, they're, you know, all these, you see all these trades going on. I mean, this is a day for for trades, and obviously there's going to be a lot tonight in the NBA, and I'm, I know we're going to talk about that. Definitely. But it's it, it just, and the Phillies have made nothing. And the, and the problem is they don't have enough to trade, and the real problem is it's going to take more than one or two trades to really make them, just to make the playoffs, 
we're better than that, Tom. You should be better than that. Just to make the playoffs, what the hell does that mean? You know, it's for a chance to really do something. It's not like we've not experienced and it's it's growing. This team should have already grown the Phillies. So, yeah, they here's the here's the fate, here's the reality of what happened uh, since Monday. They split with a terrible Washington Nationals team. They were lucky to win the first game. And McCutcheon hit a home run in the ninth because Washington has a you know, their bullpen's worse than the Phillies because they have a terrible bullpen. And they they were down and, a couple guys today too. Right, they're down players, and they traded a pitcher uh, out of the bullpen too. Yeah, Brad. Hanks. So they were down people. You know, the doubleheaders. I guess they're they're not really doubleheaders, but they're still more than nine innings. Uh, poor guys had to play fifteen innings today. I feel sorry for them. You know, these these players. It's tough. These seven inning doubleheaders. Uh, so so the Washington's down. They got a terrible bullpen, and uh, it, it's just not that the Philly the terrible bullpen. The Phillies are down seven nothing. Commit four errors, and they needed a dramatic grand slam home run to split this series with the Washington Nationals. Split uh, this series, so that doesn't get you five hundred. Is is really what they are? Um, I think Atlanta's now better than they are, uh, and I think the Mets are still better than they are, even though, and they still have to get Degrom back, and they're going to get some players back. So it's all well and good, and there's excitement because the Phillies won a dramatic, a very dramatic game uh, in the second game to split with the Washington Nationals after committing four errors. So uh, that's the the top I want to put on. on well, no, I, I hear you, and they obviously, you know, you'd think should win three or four from a team like that, sure. but. You look at where they are. I mean, three and a half back. You got to try to do something, right? I mean, you can't just stand pat. Well, you got to try to do something. But what do you have to to give? Really, what do you have to give? I mean, you have some prospects of some value. I mean, I'm not saying they have great prospects, but you know, some of these guys, like if you have a Spencer Howard or an Al- or a, a Bryson Stott, maybe an Alec Bone, but I don't think they want to trade him. You could no. get a viable starting pitcher back for some of those yeah, guys. Yeah, but, but the, the, the problem, Tom, is this is what the Phillies – this is a, 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 a mistake, and it's a recipe for just putting yourself behind the eight ball again and again and again. You've got to develop players in the minor leagues. I know Dombrowski, Dave Dombrowski, is not that kind of guy to – he wants to come in and just go for it. That's not – you can't do that with this team because they just don't have anybody in their system. And if you deplete the system again for one shot to make the playoffs and then go nowhere, what does that do for your future? They've got to try to find a way to be patient, suck it up, move forward, make better decisions with signing free agents, and develop players in their minor league system. And that's the only way that they're going to win down the line. This team, the Phillies, are not close to a World Series. They're just not close uh, because there's just too many. Your third base is a, is a problem. Your shortstop is a problem. Uh, I don't believe in Segura at second base. I know that they worry about the defense of Reese Hoskins. Although was a hitter, he does some really nice things. McCutcheon's had a nice year, but do you get trapped into re-signing him? I don't think so. 
Your center field is a joke. And you got Harper in right field. Your bullpen is still a mess. So you've got to develop. You've got to draft well, develop players, suck it up, and just save what you have for the future. Because remember, you only get, uh, uh, you're only getting what you're giving up. And if you're giving up mediocre stuff, you're only going to get mediocre stuff. And if it's for just one, like the rest of this season, and maybe next season, that's not enough. They don't have enough to trade. Now, the Yankees feel that they have a shot, and they're the New York Yankees. I mean, they just, you saw they got Anthony Rizzo, yeah. right? Yep. And I Gallo think he's do night. well there. They got two, who was the left-handed hitter they got yesterday? Joey Gallo. Yeah, Gallo. So they got two left-handed hitters. It's perfect for that ballpark. The Phillies built a, a team with ground ball pitchers and a terrible defensive infield. So you've got to fix all that. D.D. Gregorius, great guy, but he, he's done. He's just he's a mediocre shortstop, and I'm being kind defensively, and he's not a good hitter anymore, so they got a problem there. Rio Muto, nice catcher, but not for five years. He's going to be a D.H. and a first baseman in three years. So you you got to make better decisions, and you got to develop a system. And to take, like, one or two minor pieces and think, oh, that's enough to get you in the playoffs. But what does that do to your team? Really, what does that do? It, it just We're going to be into football anyway. <laughs> so I hate to break the news. And I know there's some real hardcore Phillies fans out there. But we're going to be into football anyway. There's going to be a lot to talk about there. So just it, it's time to just be patient and relax. Tom, I know you're, you probably don't remember the days of Ed Snyder always trying to get something and say, oh, oh no, I remember that the late nineties, okay. early two thousands. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. This guy, Oh, we can need this player and it'll get us into the playoffs. And then you never know what can happen. And all that did was push him back. He had a little bit of a, of an excitement at the time. And all it did was push him back and they never got there. You got to do it the right way. And if you don't, most of the time, you're not going to achieve the ultimate goal. And when the Phillies won a World Series, they did it with with development of their system, and they did it the right way, and then they filled in with a couple of pieces. And that's the difference. And going over to luxury tax, that doesn't solve anything. Uh, you know, I know John Middleton's got all the money, more money than he'll ever spend in four lifetimes, but it doesn't solve anything to go over the luxury tax because that's not the way you build a team. Just, you know, and we know the Sixers screwed up with that ridiculous nonsense of, of that thing called a process. That didn't work either. So, you know, you can't do it. You, you got to do it the right way. And that's why Golden State won. They are go, go, That's why Golden State won, and that's why Milwaukee won this year. You got you got to do it the right way. Um, and it's, it's hard, and you got to be patient, and you got to make good decisions, but that's what you got to do. Yeah, and uh, so what would you do? You just wouldn't do anything? You're just standing pat? Well, I'd get, you know, I'd make a couple of minor league deals. Remember, they made a couple of minor deals last year thinking that, that they'd had a shot, right, with what Workman and who was that other stiff? Uh, David Phelps. <laughs> yeah, David Phelps. The David Phelps era was not a great one. <laughs> what a joke. What a joke. Oh, yeah. Oh, Phillies, you know, they didn't have to give up that much. Well, they gave up Nick Pavetta, who's actually having a decent year for Boston. Uh, Don't let Jack Fritz hear that. That's his guy. Uh, no, he's having a decent year. But the thing is, you get what you pay for. Uh, and if you don't give up much, you're not going to get much. So they'll make a couple minor deals. But the Phillies aren't. 
Everybody said, oh, the first series, only a five-game series, and you have Wheeler, and you have Nolan, and you have Eflin. What do you think, the other teams are chopped liver? Uh, don't you think they have good, and they have a better offense? Philly's offense, they, they finally hit with men on base today, but that's so rare for this team. That's just not who they are. And who won the game for them? Who won the game? Brad Miller. Brad Miller, okay. big grand slam. Who's a, who's a bench player, right? Okay. So you get Brad Miller to win the game, and you get Aaron Nola, you know, and that's how bad their bullpen is. If I'm the pitcher, Aaron Nola's got to get a strike. Don't get fancy. He's the he's a pitcher. They have nobody left on their bench, and you walk the pitcher. That's the two things that won the game for them. That's the, that's not how you're going to win playoff series. So that that's the problem. Well, Howard, I did want to get your thoughts as training camp has opened up. Uh, the, down at the Novacare Complex, uh, practice so far and what you've seen from the Eagles so far as camp has opened, your thoughts on how Nick Sirianni is running things uh, this training camp thus far? Well, the players are excited. They love the enthusiasm. Uh, you know, what a coach does and everything looks very, very organized, but that's, you know, he's had enough experience to know working under people where it's organized and there's an energy there and you see that, but players are going to have to play. Uh, and they had a, they had a couple of injuries. Late. I'll tell you, they had a couple of injuries today, but not, I don't think they're serious. Brandon Brooks left practice with a hamstring injury, but from, you know, knowing things that happened in the past when you're this early in camp, soft tissue injuries, that they happen more than you think. And it doesn't sound like it was serious. I don't know anything further than that. What disappoints me is Jalen Rager. He comes in the camp and he's already injured. How does that happen? Uh, but as far as the other guys, there's some energy out there today. There was excitement today. When Jalen Hurts threw a pass, uh, I guess it was 80 yards because it was the other end of the field. I guess they started from the 20. Uh, an 80-yard pass, but I don't know that it would have been an 80-yard touchdown. But nonetheless, it was a long ball. Fans got excited. And the coverage, if I remember correctly, it was just single coverage, which is not going to happen on Devontae Smith a lot of times. But there's some there's some energy out there, and there's some excitement. Uh, Sam Malo uh, didn't practice again today, or limited practice. Uh, and that's part of uh, uh, that's part of their offensive line. So, uh, I, I uh, you still have a question at left tackle, although I think Andre Dillard, and I know people question me, I think he's got a new frame of mind, and he's got to get tougher. I think he's going to be the starting uh, left tackle. But if they stay healthy on the offensive line, uh, they're better than decent. They're good. Uh, you got to see how the defense works out. The coaches, uh, their defensive coordinator spoke today. He has a lot of energy. Uh, there's there's energy in camp, but there should be. It's only the first two days of camp. Jalen Hurts says all the right things, and you know he's working. You know uh, he works hard, and he does. But he's still, I think he's still got to be a little bit better. And the one thing, and I never really watch mechanics that much, but when Chris Sims and he, I'm, I don't know if you heard it or not. Yeah, on your show. Yep, I heard it. And he said that Jalen Hurts, uh, the reason he doesn't believe he's accurate enough is he throws more with his arm and doesn't use the, his lower body and the rest of his body to make throws. And I watched a few throws today, and that's exactly what he does. And 
that creates an inaccuracy. I, I don't want to hear about, well, Jalen Hurts throws the ball away more than Carson Wentz did. Well, every quarterback throws the ball away. But you still got to have a better completion percentage when you do all those things. So, And, and I'll be honest, I, I learned for a lot of years going to spring training and watching baseball players come out of training camp and say, oh, this guy's he's hitting the, you know, the, you, you know what out of the ball. And then you say, well, the pitcher's just throwing the same pitch every time, just working on things. Right. And then you see um, when they play in the preseason games in, in football, oh, this guy, I remember Tim Tebow. By the way, Elliot Shore Parks owes me a dinner because he bet the Eagles. First of all, he said that uh, Tim Tebow would make the Eagles and that Mariota they were going to trade for. He owes me a dinner for one of those or maybe both of those. But I said, Tim Tebow is not making the team. Because the reality is he's throwing, and he had a good game in the last preseason game. Remember in camp? Against the Jets, yeah. Yeah, okay. They're playing their second and third string players, too. <laughs> so you, you got to remember who these players are playing against. So I try to take it with a grain of salt. Sometimes, and I have an, in the world we live in now, it's hard to talk to coaches to find out when they look at the tape, after these practices are done, did the receiver make the right read? Did the receiver run the right route? Did the quarterback make the right read? Uh, you know, was that pass his fault or was it somebody else's fault that it, it didn't go to the right spot? So those are the things you got to find out. But there's an energy, there's an excitement, and the fans that are out there are excited, and the people in this town are excited. And that's that's what I get out of that camp. I mean, you... You always uh, listen to what the guys say, and they, they all are excited right now uh, to play football again. And, you know, well, you haven't even started camp yet, and they didn't really have anything. It's the first time they've had seven-on-sevens or, or 11 against 11. So um, we'll see how that works out. But I, I, the energy of Nick Sirianni is a good thing right now. Now, yeah. what he does during the game is important as well. Now, I know it's early, Howard, but what have, what have you seen from Devontae Smith? How has he looked out there? I know Rager hasn't been on the field, and they've had yeah. some issues with some of the receivers, but how has Devontae Smith looked so far? He looks good because he's fast. But you know you're not going to get hit. So when you go out for a pass, you know you're not going to get hit. And that's a difference, too. But he catches the ball. He's got great hands. He's got tremendous speed. And, you know, he's going to make plays, but other teams are going to know that, too. And if Jalen Reger doesn't step up, uh, then they're going to double-team uh, Devontae Smith. Just They're going to crush him with all these double-teams. So that that's the thing. But as far as what he is in his skills, he really has a tremendous speed and great hands. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's that obviously – pays attention to what the coaches tell him. And I, I just just watching him and, and hearing from people there that he's you know, he's gonna do everything they want him to do and he's got the skill and the ability to do it. And you know, he like I said, when you catch the ball, that's important. <laughs> too many there's too many receivers that drop balls. So he looks good. Yeah, there's no question that he looks good. Everybody looks good. Well I shouldn't say everybody. You know, Elliot and his, uh, his ridiculous stats during camp. Oh, I, I love, love it. it. He charts all the throws. I like what Elliot does that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Hertz was not was not good the first day. Mm-hmm. Today he was a little he was a little bit better. 
as far as his percentages. So, but do I, I want to see him in real action when you know somebody's coming at him, when he's really got to make a decision and he just doesn't give up after that first read and then take off. I want to see him extend plays. And the only time you're really going to see that, because in camp, whether you do it or not, the coaches are the ones that know, should he have hung in there a little bit longer and gone to the to his second read or maybe even his third read? I'll tell you what is is sick, and it's not – don't – people should not take this the wrong way. I think Mullins is more accurate than Jalen Hurts. Now, it's not ridiculous that I said that because he's not even close. He doesn't have anything close to the ability of being a starting quarterback, in my opinion. You know, the Eagles won against San Francisco because of him. No, he's terrible. Uh, But, you know, so we'll see how that happens. And, you know, Fulgham was hurt today. Everybody says, well, what happened to Fulgham was really good for, what, five weeks? And all of a sudden he fell off the face of the earth. He's just got to work harder. But he – you know, he has an injury now, too. I, I'm There's something about, and I forget who did the story, that his work ethic in college was not very good. You know, you just don't keep on getting jobs. You just got to, he's got the ability, but we, we haven't really seen him in camp, so you, I really can't tell. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen. It's only the second day that they were out there for practice. But uh, there's an energy there. There's clearly an energy, and... And I've said this before, and I may have said it with you, Tom, you know, the, the times that I'm I'm on with you. I think the Eagles win eight games, and I think eight games is really good. Elliot's just, uh, he's more delusional than Daryl Morey. Uh, uh, we'll we'll get to that he, in the next segment. Yeah, we got to okay. get to your thoughts on Benham. He's more delusional than him uh, when he thinks the Eagles are going to win 11 games. I offered him, and he thought about it. it he, obviously, you know our bet, $100 for charity. Yeah. And I'll kiss his ass on Market Street. Oh, nobody wants if, to see that. If they, if they do both, if Jalen Hurts has 35 touchdowns and the Eagles have 11 wins. Uh, but I offered him a buyout today, and he started to think about it. Oh, no. That, well, that's not a good sign if he's thinking about a buyout. Uh, so uh, you mentioned it, Howard. NBA draft tonight. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back. And I want to get your thoughts on Daryl Morey. And these ongoing trade negotiations. I, I've uh, by, I've ordered a medical team uh, to rush to the Sixers uh, draft uh, headquarters, which is their uh, New Jersey facility. Right. Uh, they, he needs a doctor, and we'll talk about that. Okay, sounds good. We're riding with the King Howard Eskin, sponsored by Xfinity, Philadelphia's fastest internet, and sponsor of our Xfinity X1 Lounge. I'm Tom Kelly, along with Howard Eskin, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly filling in for Joe Giglio on this Thursday night. We're riding with the King. Howard Eskin riding with the King sponsored by Xfinity. Philadelphia's fastest internet and sponsor of our Xfinity X1 Lounge. Now, Howard, I know you're dying to talk about the NBA draft tonight. And Daryl Morey uh, trying to get what what, uh, reporters, I believe, are calling a Harden-esque haul for Ben Simmons. A deal akin to what... Houston got for James Harden. They they had told San Antonio, I believe, what four first round picks, three pick swaps, a young player uh, offered Toronto Simmons for Lowry, Van Vliet, Ananobi, and the number four pick. And so far, Daryl Morey's attempts to get that kind of value for Ben Simmons have been unsuccessful. Uh, do you? What do you think the value is at this point for Ben Howard? I'm surprised you didn't ask the Phoenix Suns for Booker. 
Uh, Booker, Aton, and, and a couple a of first-round picks. Yeah. Uh, Daryl Morey needs medical help uh, he or a psychiatrist. And I love all these people on Twitter that say, well, you ask high. Yeah, but the people are laughing at him now. You've got to know. I don't know about know. that. He's a good player. A really good what, player, Ben Simmons. What's that? So Ben Simmons is a really good player. You want to ask for high value. A good player doing what? He does a everybody lot of things well, seen, Howard. He's a multifaceted seen, player. Everybody has seen this team fail with Ben Simmons. Everybody knows you got to get rid of him. Everybody knows that the Sixers can't win. Uh, they couldn't before, and they can't now with Ben Simmons. There are at least 25 players that are better than him in the NBA, at least. All right, so to get – and then they ask Golden State uh, for what? Wiggins. Wiggins, Wiseman. Um, yeah, and four first-round picks. Uh, yeah, four first – the seven, 14, and two future first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's laughable. It's absolutely laughable. I'm surprised the teams don't say, hey, listen, a, 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 a chief – uh, a genius. Uh, they should say genius. We need you to give us a first round pick. So we'll take him from you. Uh, let, let's be real. Everybody knows that Ben Simmons can't play with this team again next year. The first time he walks on the floor, he'll get booed. The first time he misses a foul shot, they might start ripping the seats out and throwing the seats at him. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable that Ben Simmons is just because he was drafted number two or number one in, in a draft, there's a lot of stiffs that are number one picks. Uh, it, it's just it doesn't work that way. He's he's athletic, but you know what's amazing about the uh, about the NBA and, and the players coming in? I see so many athletic players. Who's the center from uh, uh, a USC that can? I mean, he can handle Mobley, almost as well as Ben Simmons. And he can also shoot, and he can also do a lot of the things, and, and it's kind of a unique thing. He'll go to the basket when he's covered and won't worry about getting fouled. Will Ben Simmons do that? He wouldn't take a dunk. That's all we had to see. That was the, the, that will always be embedded in our minds. So a team says to Daryl Morey, a, uh, a genius, he wouldn't dunk the ball because he was afraid to go to the foul line. And you want first-round picks? Are you delusional? Are you on drugs? I mean, what are you talking about here? You got to be real, and I know you ask for the moon, but those guys. There's always a stupid guy out there, but not that stupid, and that's the problem. And this is where I hope they trade tonight. And I'm along with 85 to 90 percent of the people in Philadelphia that want to see him traded tonight. Get him out of here, uh, and. If that doesn't happen, and I'm afraid it's not going to happen because he's so out of whack with what he thinks. Well, let's not forget, Glenn Rivers said Ben Simmons is a treasure. And I don't know basketball, and other people don't know basketball, if you don't believe he's a treasure. He also said uh, he didn't know if he could win a championship with him as the point guard, too. So uh, What's that? I said he also said after Game 7 he's not sure he can win with him as the point guard. Right, yeah. Uh, okay, so where where do you play him? Where do you play him? I would not. I would not play him as your primary ball handler. As your primary ball handler, you need somebody you can shoot. I would agree. Okay, with that. he's useless then, because what I think his best position with with a, a team that plays small lineups, and there's a lot of that in the NBA now. You got to play him at center, 
Because, okay, Ben, you don't have to really shoot. The problem is he might have to go to the foul line, and that's not a good thing. But you don't have to really just rebound and get the ball out on the break. That's all you got to do. Just rebound and get the ball out on the break. Now, the problem with that is he's going to have to cover players that are his size. And uh, I'll say this. I was talking to Charles Barkley the other day. And I says, Charles, you know, Ben Simmons doesn't cover the the top scoring guard on the other team many times. He said he doesn't cover the top scoring guard on the other team all the time. He never covers the top scoring guard. And if he's going to be, you know, because he's five inches taller, he doesn't cover the top scoring guard. So it's all this nonsense about defensive player of the year because he decided he gave himself the award. That's not the way it works. You know, he's athletic and he's quick. But if you move him to any other position but guard, then he's playing players the same size. And teams have to figure out who gives up all that when you don't even know what position he plays, that's the problem. Well, matchups change, but Howard, I mean, he did guard Bradley Beal and Trey Young most of the time in those series. Nah, nah. He, uh, uh, Trey Young, he, he didn't. Go, he didn't guard rarely. him in game one, for the first half of game one. He pretty much guarded him the rest of the series. Uh, okay, not not all the time. Not the all the time. The majority of the time. He, he, he tried Kyrie Irving the last time they played the Nets. They took him off him halfway through the first quarter. Can't do it. And Bradley Beal, he doesn't cover most of the time. He'll once in a while cover. He just, he, I, I, for whatever reason, I, I, I don't understand why. I don't know why. And, you know, and Glenn Rivers can say it's matchups. Uh, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. I, I, I just don't see what value he has. Tom, I'll ask you a simple question because sure. you finally came to see the light. Uh, can the Sixers win a championship if Ben Simmons remains on this team? Uh, with him playing with Joel Embiid, I do not think. I do not think they could. I need. Okay. The, I think they need a premier scoring guard. But that Howard, where we differ is, I'm not just going to give Ben Simmons away for nothing. Like if you're not getting legitimate value back, which well, is what's value? Here's a, the point. What's value? Either a ton of picks, like Maury's asking for, or a well, premier a player. For- now. Now, for Russ- a player that you don't even know what position he's going to play. Now, Russell- a player is scared to death. He just He's afraid who's been coddled his whole life by his parents, and he's been coddled by every coach he had in the pros. You know, we blame Brett Brown for, for letting him do what he wanted to do, but the Ben, the ben Abler, Glenn Rivers, let him do whatever he wanted to do as well. It's just another coach isn't going to do that. And all this time, He's 25, what's it, 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know he didn't get all the candles because his percentage had to be bad and blowing out the candles. Uh, but cheap <laughs> he's just, he's 25. He's played basketball all his life. And he's afraid to shoot. Forget about the fact that he can't shoot and he hasn't learned to shoot. He's been dismissive dismissive he, he he didn't do it in college for the one year he played there i don't know about his high school career he didn't do it in the pros i don't care you know what i don't even care about him shooting a three anymore he's just got to take a shot once in a while from the outside he's just got to. he doesn't even shoot from 13 feet now it's fo- the most ridiculous thing in the world i want to get to get your opinion on this hour now as far as what they can do russell westbrook gets traded to la that would make you think that they're going into a rebuild what if what if about a deal where you send Ben Simmons, 
a bunch of picks to Washington and go after Beal. Do you think that's something that would have the potential to happen? Uh, Tom, do you need a uh, psychiatric examination? No, I don't, Howard. I think they're that's not a getting, realistic they're not possibility. Getting, they're not getting Damian Lillard. They're not getting Bradley Beal from Ben Simmons. It's not happening. It's just not happening. Bradley Beal has so much more value than Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, as I said, is not even a top 25 player in the NBA. Those three All-Star games were a farce because when Ben Simmons was making the All-Star, to to say he's a three-time All-Star is the most ridiculous, asinine uh, thing that I've ever heard because that's when the players started making the picks and uh, LeBron James who owns a piece of the company that represents Ben Simmons, you know, wanted to make sure he was on the team. So uh, it's I mean, I don't think that's the sole reason he was an you, all-star, Howard. Uh, come on, that's not how fair. How can you – wait, wait. That's just, just not fair. Wait, I mean, it's not – An all-star game is about shooters, right? Not necessarily – no, it's about having the best players in the league on the floor. Okay, and he's not, he's not one of the top – his first year, he, he fooled people. The second year, people started it. The second time he made it, eh, kind of, well, is he really that good? The last, this last year, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Uh, it, it's just to have him, uh, uh, first of all, Sabonis from Indiana, he averaged 20. He averaged a triple-double before, right before the All-Star game. Averaged a triple-double. But he plays in Indiana. He was a better player. He can shoot. He can do everything. He, he can pass. It, and here's the other thing with Ben Simmons. He, he, all these assists, and he still he didn't get as many this year. All he does, he's afraid to shoot, so when he dribbles down the, uh, down the lane and somebody's there to guard him, he kicks it out to an open shooter. If they hit the shot, he gets an assist. Uh, and talking to stat people uh, who watched him around the league, He's got some of the softest assists you would ever see. He's not a passer like Trey Young. He's not a he's not a pass. Obviously, he's not a passer like Chris Paul. And Chris Paul is a, you know, maybe a Hall of Fame player, but he's not that kind of he's not that kind of passer. He just he passes because he doesn't want to shoot. That I, I, I'm telling you, it's like I'm I'm talking to a wall here. Uh, not just you, Tom, but everybody. Who, who still believes that Ben Simmons is a great talent. you got to realize that the Sixers are addition by subtraction. If they're not going to win a championship with Ben Simmons, I want to get a point guard who can shoot and play the position the way it has to be played, not the way he plays the position. And until you do that, and when you do that, Tom, you remember the series against Boston when they won? Was it, yeah, they won. They they won one game in that series. Okay, and who was the who was the point guard? A good part of that game. It was T.J. McConnell. I mean, okay. but that doesn't who's, mean who's, who's Howard, a that doesn't mean P.J. T.J. McConnell's a better player than Ben Simmons, though. You I know didn't that. say that, Tom. I said he runs the position, and that's why there was there was energy. They had to worry about him shooting. Not a good shooter. It's just a probably a below average shooter. But at least he gave, you know the the thought to the other team, this guy may shoot, we have to guard him a little bit. You know, it's nice that Ben Simmons taught us social distancing and every defensive player played six feet off him, and he taught us all that during the pandemic. Uh, But uh, that's not the way you win in the NBA. Uh, Ben Simmons, he can't wait to get out of here. He can't wait to get out of here. I agree with that. They can't even – here's a team that that hasn't even spoken to him yet. 
Hasn't even spoken to him. I'm sure they sent him a text to wish him a happy birthday, and that's about it. And, you know, he's going to get in the gym in the offseason. Yeah, he's going to get in the gym. Jim, and then his social media stuff is it's a complete farce. Uh, and people, all people do is get annoyed. And Clutch Sports put up a picture of him dribbling a basketball with somebody, some overweight guy that works for Clutch Sports, up against him like he's defending him. What's that supposed to mean to us? That picture's not even from this offseason. <laughs> it's a joke. Well, it's he's a joke. he's at least enjoyed some tennis. He's enjoying his 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 birthday. You know, he's enjoying his offseason so far, Howard. He's back he's in the gym, though. He's enjoying spending his getting money, ready. Tom. He's enjoying... He's got the money and we don't. And that's right. You want to buy a $17.5 million home with three pools and three kitchens and, you know, you know all this nonsense and then posting pictures of his new home in Los Angeles. I don't care. People don't care. They want you to work on your game. That's what they want. They're not impressed by your new cars every month. They're not impressed by your $17.5 million home. They're not impressed by your girlfriend. And this, this girl kicked him to the curb like Jenner did, too. Oh, God. Come Jenner, on Jenner, boy, she, she really graded up in the booker uh, <laughs> after she dumped Ben Simmons. You know, it, it's just that's not what it's about. Uh, and I'll say this, and you have to think about this a little bit. I think Ben Simmons would rather be a celebrity celebrity than a than a bigger basketball celebrity. You are a celebrity when you play professional sports, but he just wants to hang around with celebrities, so he's a celebrity. I, it, it's just, and that's why he spends all that money on on luxurious things to try to impress people. How many fans do you think are impressed? With his stink, I don't think the fans. Home. I don't think the fans like the the optics of it. I don't think are great. No. I'll say that. But well, I hope Daryl Morey gets an invite, uh, and he can maybe have one of the pools by himself one day. Uh, you know, because he thinks Ben Simmons is a really, really, really valuable player, and Glenn Rivers thinks he's a treasure. Well, well, we'll see how valuable he is as he gets traded. If not tonight, likely this off season. So he's got to get. If he starts the season with the Sixers, it's over. They're done. They're done. Just, just, just turn the page to the next year. Well, you know, just turn the page. You gotta. I mean, you gotta get some stars. Who is the? St- what stars do the Sixers have on their team? Uh, Joel Embiid. That's jo- it. And Joel right. Embiid and maybe Ben Simmons if he develops uh, uh, into. No, nah, not, not Ben Simmons. He can develop. He, he's not a star. Well, he's not a star. Howard, uh, go he's with- just not a star. And Joel Embiid's got what? Three years at the outside left. Yeah, I mean they're probably going to offer him the supermax, but well, um, no, no, I don't think they're going to do that. You don't Tom. think they will? No, and here's why I don't think they're going to do that, because then you're stuck with him for if you offered it this off season, then you're stuck with him for six years, and at the end of that contract, I think it would be fifty million dollars uh, a year. And do you think? Do you really? Does anybody think that Joel Embiid will be healthy enough? To really give you a uh, star, I just don't know what other choice you have. Like you've got to sign him to that super. Well, but, but where's he going? Do you think any other team's going to give him that, that yeah. kind of money? Yeah, I do. I think I teams would give him that. Nope. Money. Nope. Nope. Well, nope. 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 Well, and he ain't going anywhere. I, he's not well, going. He's, he's building a twenty million dollar home here. I hope. I hope he doesn't go anywhere because he's a hell of a player. Uh, he's not going anywhere. Well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, but Howard, enjoy the draft tonight. 
And I appreciate you hanging out with me a little late tonight. Thank you for hanging I know. out. I know. Hey, Tom, I'm just trying to – I can't help Daryl Morey right now. Although I bet if I put something on social media, Daryl Morey would see it because he's he all loves over your, He loves media. your Twitter, Howard. He's all What's over – he's got – I bet he's got notifications for when you tweet. I'm sure he does. Yeah. I, I'm sure he does. I think he does. Uh, so uh, – but he needs help. He needs serious help. <laughs> well, Howard, it was great talking to you. I hey, appreciate it. And you know what? Always. If um, if there's a surgeon out there, uh, you need to be able to surgically give Daryl Morey a pair. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.